into Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right? Play, cool. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on today in the world of sports. Before I begin talking about what's happening in the NBA, before I begin talking about the soap opera known as the Aaron Rodgers turns, before I start talking about everything that's going on in the world of sports, I want to give a special dedication to all the beautiful, fantastic, magnificent, talented, strong mothers out there. This is going to be published on Sunday, May 9th, which is Mother's Day. So this is just my way, my special dedication to all the beautiful, talented, strong, fantastic mothers out there who have raised fantastic, wonderful, talented children. 
for those who have now gone into adulthood and are moving this country forward in a positive, harmonious direction through intelligence, through strength, through education, through understanding. I want to thank the mothers out there for creating and helping and molding uh, fabulous children who are now adults. So special dedication to my mom, Marie Wallace, for uh, giving me the foundation and giving me the tools, giving me the education, giving me everything that she has, along with my dad who's no longer with me, to um, put me in the position that I am. Any mistakes that I make, any negative that I have, any downfalls that I have in my life, as of right now, don't don't correlate that to my parents. Don't correlate that to my mother. Uh-uh. Every wrongdoing that I had ever since I turned 21, 25, 31, 41, 50 is all based on me. It's all down on me. Had nothing to do with the way my upbringing went. My parents and my mom was fantastic. And I'm quite sure you feel the same way. Your parents gave you a fabulous foundation to improve, to strive, to survive, to do all those things. And the mothers, there are hearts, there are inspirations, there are everything that um, we ever hope for and everything that we need. Special dedication going out to the legendary, to the great Joe Cocker singing You Are So Beautiful to Me, written by Billy Preston in honor of his mother. So I thought that would be apropos to start the podcast like that. But uh, yeah, man, one more thing. Hey, let your mother know. It shouldn't just be on Mother's Day. Just let her know, man, every day how much you love her. Because especially when you're speaking about people in my generation, people of my age group, their mothers are not around for a lot of them, for uh, many of them. And I've had friends who tell me whose mothers are no longer with them, that they would give absolutely anything, anything, if they could have another 10, 15 minutes with their mother, if they could just somehow, some way, just be able to see and hold and hug and talk to their mothers again for 10, 15 minutes, what they wouldn't give. So as long as your mom is still on this earth and breathing life, man, let her know how much you love her. Let her know how much you care about her. Let her know how thankful you are that, uh, you know, that you're her mother. You're her mother? Her mother. There you go. Special dedications going out toward them. All right. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us on the podcast today, man. We got some stuff that we want to talk about. NBA updates, less than a week to go in the regular season. What are the seedings going to look like in the Western and Eastern Conference at the moment? Man, is there a possibility? Seriously, man. Is there really going to be a possibility where the Los Angeles Lakers are not going to make the playoffs? Is there going to be a situation where the Boston Celtics are not going to make the playoffs? Are we going to have a situation where we're going to have a we're going to have a playoff without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, the defending champions who midway through the season looked like the clear-cut favorites not only to win the Western Conference but go ahead and win the NBA championship? Now they're in jeopardy of going to the play-in game. In fact, they're in the play-in game now after losing. Uh, the last couple of games, they lost to the Clippers a couple of nights ago. Who did they lose to? They lost to uh, Portland last night. So right now, man, the Los Angeles Lakers, without LeBron James, are in the playoff, in, in the play-in game. Ain't that something? Ain't that incredible? So Laker fans, let me hear you, man. What's up? What's going on? Are you nervous? Is it time to P-A-N-I-C or should we just R-E-L-A-X? What's going on here, man? Because if I were you guys, I would be a little bit concerned. And not just, hey, the playing game, this, that, and the other. I'm not I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you guys defending your crown, man. I'm talking about you guys defending your championship. I mean, 
you go ahead, get into the play-in game, and then you make it into the playoffs. Well, whoop-de-damn-do, man. You're the Los Angeles Lakers. You're the, what, 16, 17-time NBA champion in terms of your history is concerned. You're speaking about LeBron James. You're speaking about Anthony Davis. You're speaking about Frank Vogel. You're speaking about, again, midway through the season, you guys were the clear-cut favorites to win the Western Conference, to make it to the NBA championship. Now... We're speaking about a situation where, okay, if you do, if you guys do get into the playoffs, you guys are going to have to face who? The Phoenix Suns? You guys are going to have to face who? The Los Angeles Clippers? You guys are going to have to face who? The Utah Jazz, ultimately, if you want to make it back to the NBA Finals with a hobbled, with a injured LeBron James. Now we have Anthony Davis with back spasms. What's going on, man? What's happening? Where are we going? What's up with this? What's your attitude? Let me know. Let me hear you. What's going on? So... I will be discussing that today on the podcast. Also, you take a look at the Eastern Conference now, the Philadelphia 76ers moving into a more solidified position to hold that number one spot, even though the Milwaukee Bucks, they're climbing, they're climbing, they're climbing, they're climbing. Meanwhile, the Brooklyn Nets, they're falling, they're falling, they're falling, they're falling. So, you know, again, is this going to be a matter of, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, hey man, don't worry about it. We lost on the road at Milwaukee, competitive games. Then we went ahead. Kyrie scored 45, KD had an off night against Dallas, but, you know, for the most part, we were in the game there. Once we get back James Harden, who claims that, you know what, he'll be back before the playoffs start, that's what he said. All right, okay, is that going to be the one where it's like, okay, cool, we're good, we're all good, Milwaukee, you better watch out, Philadelphia, you better not shout. Uh, you know, you be- y'all better not cry because I'm telling you why. The Brooklyn Nets with James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are coming to the playoffs, and they're going to be whooping some ass. We talk about the chemistry issues. We talk about, you know, have these guys played enough, long enough, together enough for those guys to be successful when you're speaking about going into the playoffs, when you're speaking about the Brooklyn Nets. How much if, is, is that going to play into the ultimate... Um style or the ultimate uh, way that the Brooklyn Nets get to where they need to go to. So we'll go ahead and we'll also be discussing that. I saw the game yesterday between, well, a lot, most of it, fell asleep a little bit. But I got the gist of what's happening with the Boston Celtics, their game against the uh, Chicago Bulls where they got blown out by 22 points. I'm, I'm, I'm here to ask Boston Celtics fans this. If you guys flame out in the playoffs, let's just say, for instance, y'all lose in the first round, you lose in four or five games. Right now, you guys, again, are in the playing game. I'm not going to even bring up the notion what happens if you then lose to the Charlotte Hornets in the playoff game and then go down and lose the next game, which will elim- eliminate you from playoff position. And let's just say that you guys go ahead and do what you need to do, get yourself in the playoffs, similar to the Western Conference and the Los Angeles Lakers. Let's say, for instance, that the Boston Celtics go ahead make the playoffs, but then they get bounced in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, whether it be Philadelphia or Brooklyn or Milwaukee or whatever. If you're a Bostonian, if you're a Bostonian Celtics fan, where are we going with this team? What is happening with this team? What's your opinion of this team? Shake your head when you're speaking about this team. Have a confused look when you're speaking about this team. Two years ago, this team made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Last year, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Or Eastern Conference. Yeah, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
So, no, 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 I'm sorry. A couple of years ago when they lost to Cleveland in Game 7 at the Boston Garden or at TD Waterhouse, um, you know, when Jason Tatum was a rookie and everybody was talking about 12-time Tatum and he's going to be the next superstar and all these type of things. Then they went ahead and they got Kyrie Irving and that was supposed to elevate them to an even greater status, but that fizzled out mightily and they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. And then last season without Kyrie bringing in Kemba Walker, the chemistry was supposed to be better. Guys were supposed to like each other. This was a team that the fans could get behind because you had great character you had great human beings you had a great leader in Kimba Walker but yet and still they still lost in the Eastern Conference Finals in the bubble to the Miami Heat now we're speaking about the year after that the Celtics fighting clawing their way into the playoffs playing in the play-in game they go ahead and they lose in the first round what are we going to be doing is it now time to start questioning is it now start is it now time to start doubting Head coach Brad Stevens, remember a couple of years ago, it wasn't more than three or four years ago where Brad Stevens was in the conversation of this guy is the anointed one. This guy is the next great coach. This guy is going to take over from the great Popovich's and the, and the Phil Jackson's and the Chuck Daly's and the Pat Riley's and these guys and go ahead. I mean, he's superseded such guys as Eric Spolstra and he superseded such guys as Rick Carlisle when people were talking about the great coaches in the league. Rick Carlisle wasn't a young coach, but you just had this plethora. You had these coaches who were, you know, of a certain age group, of a certain stature, of a certain amount of experience in the league. And Brad Stevens was supposed to be that guy that was going to go over all of them in terms of success, in terms of, you know, great young coaches moving on and taking this game to the next level. Hey, man, you know what? Just like players retire, just like the league has to replace great players when a Bird, when a Magic, when a Wilt, when a Russell, when a Jordan, when a you know LeBron, when all these guys retire. You know the league has to replenish that uh, that uh, those superstars. Well, it's the same thing with coaching. You know you need to replenish great coaches. You can't have great teams. You can't have really great players maximize their abilities if you don't have great coaches. As great as Michael Jordan is, if Michael Jordan didn't have Phil Jackson, if Michael Jordan had to stick with the Stan Albecks and the other clowns of the world before he finally got to Doug Collins, then Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan wouldn't be as great as we know him today. If Magic Johnson wasn't nurtured and wasn't groomed and didn't have the relationship and didn't have the working relationship that he had with Pat Riley, we wouldn't be speaking about him in the same platitudes and putting him on the same level as he is right now. Same thing with Larry Bird and Casey Jones. Same thing with Kobe and Phil Jackson. Same thing with Shaq and Phil Jackson. Lord have mercy, how many years did we go when people were complaining about Shaquille O'Neal doing too many movies, not taking enough time to work on his craft, take, making too many mediocre rap albums, and people were speaking about, is this guy really serious about winning a championship? Well, I mean, Phil Jackson came into the fold, and guess what? The Lakers three-peat. Kobe Bryant was known as a selfish, egotistical, immature, out-of-place uh, ball hog. And Phil Jackson came along and nurtured, put him in an offense, taught him about team discipline the best he could, and we saw Kobe's career take off. The point is, is that, look, man, every... Player needs that great coach. Larry Bird wasn't going to be winning championships if Chris Ford and Bill Fitch would have stuck around, right? 
That just shows you how great LeBron James. Could you imagine LeBron James who won championships with Tyron Lue and won championship with Frank Vogel and won championship with Eric Spolstra and won championship with all of these different coaches that have been to the finals with all of these different coaches? Could you imagine if you had a coach who matched the stature of a LeBron James as far as his coaching is, is, is concerned? Could you imagine if LeBron James had a... Phil Jackson, for the majority of his career? Could you imagine if LeBron James had a Chuck Daly for the majority of his career? Could you imagine if LeBron James was coached by Pat Riley for the majority of his career? How many rings he would have already? Or how many more rings he would have? And with more rings, can we now, then, if, say for instance, he was being coached by a Pat Riley type, if he was being coached by a Greg Popovich type, if he was being coached by a Phil Jackson type. LeBron has four championships, has been to the finals 10 times. Let's say, for instance, he had one of those great coaches for the majority of his career, and he went to the finals 13 times and won eight of them. How different then would that argument be when we're speaking about the greatest players of all time? LeBron James never had the ability, never had the advantage of having a Phil Jackson as his coach, like Michael Jordan did when he took off and he won those six championships. So, look, man, it's always important to keep that relationship going. You can't find yourself a true superstar in terms of winning multiple titles, the exception being LeBron James, without having that great coach. All of that meant to say that Brad Stevens was supposed to be that guy. You know, in the NBA, you need that championship player. And hell, you might need that, or you, you definitely need that championship coach. And with the Boston Celtics, it was like, okay, cool. We got ourselves our championship coach. We got ourselves our Phil Jackson. We got ourselves our Chuck Daly. We got ourselves our Red Auerbach. We got ourselves our uh, Greg Popovich. We got our guy. And he's young enough to where, look, he's going to be our guy for 12, 15, 18, 20 years. Now all we need to do is to find a superstar to pair with them, and the Boston Celtics are going to be a dynasty. That was the thought process. That was the thinking process three, four years ago. Fast forward to the year 2021. Fast forward to May 9th, 2021. Where are we standing now with Brad Stevens as a coach? What are we going to be talking about here? Currently, and if the Celtics fail... What's going to be your thoughts and feelings about Brad Stevens? That seat going to get a little bit warmer? Is that seat warm already? You can't deny that this has not been the season of expectations of the Boston Celtics. The organization, the fans, the players, the owners, everything. So where do we go from from here if you're the Boston Celtics? What do we do with this lineup who apparently is not giving it its all? Apparently is not buying in on a consistent basis to what Brad Stevens is trying to sell them in terms of hustle, in terms of focus, in terms of doing what they need to do. This is not just, well, you know, this is not like a Brooklyn Nets situation where it's like, yeah, okay, Kemba Walker missed some time. Jason Tatum had to deal with COVID. Jalen Brown isn't playing right now. Tristan Thompson's new, so he had to get acclimated. The the trade to bring in Evan Fournier, that takes time to gel. So none of those excuses apply. As Jalen Rose has said many times after a Boston Celtics game, a Boston Celtics loss on ESPN where Jalen Rose comes in and he's correct. He's like, hey, man, they're not playing hard. The bottom line is they're not playing hard. And that goes, that goes back to coaching. 
And Jalen Rose, who's played in the league, who played in the league over 10 years, you know something about that in terms of uh, those things. So, yeah, you take a look at the Boston Celtics. I saw that game that they had against the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Pathetic, inexcusable, unacceptable. It's on the players, yes, but it's also on the coaching. How much are they listening to Brad Stevens? How much are they believing in Brad Stevens? And if you're the Boston Celtics in this organization, the three most important people of that organization outside of the upper management, the GM and all those things, the most important people are Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Brad Stevens. It ain't Kemba Walker. It ain't uh, anybody else. It ain't Marcus Smart. It's those three. So that's your core right there. Brown, Tatum, Stevens. What do we do with that? What do we do to build around that? Does one of them have to go? And if one of them has to go, which one is it going to be? Is it going to be Stevens? Is it going to be Jalen Brown? Or is it going to be Jason Tatum? Because I tell you one thing, if Brad Stevens, if they flame out in the playoffs and Danny Ainge or one of the, you know, one of the folks who own that team gets a bug up his ass and says, I want uh, Brad Stevens out of here. I'm quite sure there's going to be like 20 to 25 teams that would be on the, you know, that would be on the phone to Brad Stevens agent about 1.4 milliseconds after he's fired saying, Hey, what can we come in and interview you? Because yeah, we definitely want you to uh, uh, be interested in coaching our team. So I think Brad Stevens is still held in high regard, but has he run his course with this certain team or has he run his course with these, uh, with these players? And if he has, what is, what needs to be changed? The player dynamic or the coach getting all of that. Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host of Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. NBA news. Speaking about coaches on the hot seat. I want to get into a little bit on the podcast today about the NBA coaching, the hot seat candidates, right? It's never too, uh, Never too early to speak about that when you're speaking about coaches who might be in trouble, whether it's the NHL, Major League Baseball, dealing with the manager, NFL, or the NBA, right? Mike Bootenholder of the Milwaukee Bucks, Luke Walton of the Sacramento Kings, Dwayne Casey of the Detroit Pistons, Steve Clifford of the Orlando Magic, all of these guys and a couple of others are uh, in the news talking about, hey man, you know, there might be a situation where we might have to go into another direction. We might have to take a look and see what, else, see what else is out there. Which one of these candidates, and I'm telling you now, there's more than these uh, four that I just mentioned. Which one of these candidates or which one of these candidates are safe, are hot, are basically already gone? And what do the new, new breed of coaches should look like? Say, for instance, if... The Milwaukee Bucks disappoint and Mike Bootenholder is gone. Where do they go to look for a coach? If the Sacramento Kings, Vivit Ramadive, says, you know what, man, I'm done with Luke Walton. Where do they go? What type of coach are we looking for here? Are we looking for a retread? Are we looking for a Jeff Van Gundy type? Are we looking for a Wes Unsell Jr. type? Are we looking for a coach who's never been a head coach before? Are we looking for a guy off of someone's staff who might have had some experience in the G League and he's been on uh, a staff of a successful organization you want to bring him in? What are we talking about? And this could really be a litmus test in terms of the hiring practices concerning the league. Remember when Chris Finch was hired by the Minnesota Timberwolves? And, you know, there were some folks out there talking about, well, damn, man, I mean, you know, 
how many black coaches do we have out here in the NBA? Damn, this, that, and the other. And that was really the first time that I really thought about that because, again, the league is so uh, Afro-American-centric in terms of, look, LeBron James had no problems, you know, stating his case and giving his opinions about anything and everything regarding social issues. Same thing with Chris Paul. Same thing with Jalen Brown. Same thing with the huge amount of players, black players in the NBA. They're not biting their tongues. And it seems like the relationship concerning that between the players and the owners are strong enough to where it's a lot different than say the NFL owners and its players association. So this is a situation where the first time I thought about it was again, when Chris Finch was hired by the Minnesota Timberwolves off the staff of the Toronto Raptors. And it was like, well, what Minnesota did was uh, not kosher because this is a situation where you want to wait till the end of the season and you will have a pool of candidates to go ahead and choose from. And those pool of candidates should also include black coaches. So if you're just going to narrow the one guy who just happens to be white, hey man, again, black folks are getting the shaft in terms of equal opportunity to get themselves a head coaching position. But again, Never really thought about that because if there were hiring practices in terms of a discrimination toward uh, black coaches in the NBA, I'm quite sure Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and all of these superstars out here would have some say in it. And when you're speaking about how important a superstar franchise player is to their organization, you better believe that almost all of these teams that are hiring these coaches, they're going to get their input in from their superstar player who happens to be what? Black. So, I mean, for a perfect example, it would be the Steve Nash situation. Jacques Vaughn, who was the Brooklyn Nets coach uh, after Kenny Atkinson was fired, he did a great job without Kevin Durant and without um, Kyrie Irving when he got injured. Jacques Vaughn, was beloved by the team, beloved by the players. They played extremely hard for him, and they overachieved, got them uh, got them into the playoffs, right? Got the Brooklyn into the playoffs where they had no business being there. But who's the coach of the uh, Brooklyn Nets now? Steve Nash. You don't think that the uh, Joe Sy and the ownership uh, didn't go up to Kyrie and Kevin Durant and ask for their opinions about uh, who should be the next head coach? And you're going to try to tell me that Kyrie, who throws out his opinion on everything and lets his feelings know about everything, wears his emotions on his sleeve in front of the public about everything? You're going to try to tell me if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving said, now I really do like Jacques Vaughn, and you know, since I only have two years remaining on my contract, and you guys really want to re-sign me, I think that you would be, uh, be doing a solid if you just kept Jacques Vaughn as the coach moving forward. I think that the working relationship between the three of us, Vaughn, Irving, Durant, I think it'll work. So let's go ahead and let's just keep Jacques Vaughn as the head coach. If Kyrie and KD had that attitude, guess who would be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets for the 2020-2021 season? It would be Jacques Vaughn. It would not be Steve Nash. So, that's my deal in terms of, well, wait a minute. If there's supposed to be a, if there's supposed to be issues with black coaches not getting an opportunity and not getting hired, don't we have the infrastructure to make sure that do, that doesn't happen? So that's just my way of saying it'll be interesting to see if, say, for instance, 
the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, Sacramento Kings, Milwaukee Bucks, Washington Wiz, and, and others let go of their head coaches. And say, for instance, out of those six teams that need a head coach, five of them are white. Interesting. Interesting. Because if Bradley Beal for Washington wants a black head coach, he's going to give himself a black head coach. All right? If Mike Bootenholder is gone from the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Adenokupo wants a black head coach, guess what? The Milwaukee Bucks are getting themselves a black head coach. Now, it's a little bit different in Detroit and Sacramento because they don't have anybody of any consequence. De'Aaron Fox is, can, can hope and pray and demand all he wants to about a black head coach, but uh, he's not at the stature for where the organization is going to be like, well, you know, if De'Aaron wants a black head coach, then yeesh. No, they're going to find the best head coach, and if he happens to be white and De'Aaron Fox doesn't like it, oh, well, that's his problem. So certain situations calls for certain you know, avenues to go down, but we'll see. We'll see as the silly season is what only a couple of months upon us in terms of coaches being uh, fired and hired and all those type of things. So we'll see Wendell's world in sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just giving you a rundown of what I'm talking about. What I'm thinking about what I'm feeling about what I'm going to be talking about on my podcast today. Um, but, 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 oh, NFL news. You know, I got to talk about this Aaron Rodgers deal, right? It won't go away. He won't go away. I don't want him to go away. I don't want him to, uh, go to, uh, try to take Alex Trebek. No, I, no, I want to see him playing quarterback. So going to give you the latest of the soap opera known as Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. As saying through the hourglass, so are Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Hello, this is Wendell Wallace, and thanks for tuning in to find out what's next between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Speculation, speculation, is that if the Packers ever did go ahead and say, you know what, screw this, let's go ahead and trade Rodgers, that the Denver Broncos would be the best position. Mm-hmm, interesting. Rodgers reportedly narrowed his preferred trade destinations down to three teams, the San Francisco 49ers, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Denver Broncos. Interesting that Rodgers, who still feels that he's in the prime of his career, even at um, 37, you have to remember Bart Scott on the uh, Mike Greenberg TV show brought up a good point, the fact that the first three years, Rodgers didn't play, so he's not your typical 37-year-old. And, you know, what the day, uh, the way that the athletes are able to train and nutrition and everything else, the way they uh, can keep themselves in shape, and the way that the rules are, are presented in the NFL to where, you know, you if you breathe on a quarterback, you'll get a 15-yard penalty. If you look mean at Tom Brady, you'll uh, not only get a 15-yard penalty, you might get thrown out of the game, and then the Tampa Police Department might arrest you. And if you're black, they might not only arrest you, they might taste you, put their knee on your neck for nine and a half minutes, and then say, well, you know, he's a big black guy who looked at me mean. What do you expect? And the folks will say, okay, not guilty. Wow, where did I go there? Anyways, getting back. But, uh yeah, but the so the... Rules in the NFL have it to where, you know what, you can play quarterback at a high level into your late 30s, even into your early 40s if you have the genetics and you take care of yourself well enough. So I guess Aaron Rodgers, banking on himself, is talking about, look, man, you know, I've still got three, four more years of high-level, high-quality, top two or three quarterbacking in me. I mean, I can duplicate, I can replicate what I did this season with the Green Bay Packers, especially if you give me some weapons to go with that. 
So he takes a look and says, yeah, I'll go to the Raiders. Yeah, I'll go to the Denver Broncos. Yeah, and I know that there's this huge mountain called Mount Mahomes sitting there that's, that might be preventing me to ultimately getting to where I need to be. If I were Aaron Rodgers, I mean, really, you're going to go into the same division where you're going to have to play the Kansas City, used to be champions twice with Patrick Mahomes getting better, Tyreek Hill getting better, Travis Kelsey, the strength. The offensive line has now been retooled. Um, the, the running back for Kansas City who names escape me right now, he's going to be getting better. The offensive weapons that they have and the uh, improving defense, improving enough to where, you know what, if the Kansas City football team scores averages 28 points with that offensive lineup, with that quarterback, it's easy to do. But the defense, hey, man, that's okay. Give up 24, 21 points. That's okay. We'll be 13-3, and 14-2 and and winning championships. With the personnel that the Denver Broncos have with a non-offensive guy at their head coach and Vic Fangio. You're going to try to tell me that Aaron Rodgers is confident enough that he's going to go into that environment and say in a couple of years, if not next season, that I'm going to have a better chance to uh, win a Super Bowl. I'm going to have a better chance to make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> all right. All right. I Interesting, but all right. According to uh, Denver insider Benjamin Albright, Denver would be the front runner. This is what he said during an appearance with Broncos Country tonight on iHeartRadio. He said, quote, I think it's better than 50-50 that it happens. And I can tell you that I know from Rogers Camp that Denver is his number one destination. His preferred destination is the Denver Broncos. Again, I would think, I would think it would be the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers, don't you? I mean, they got Kyle Shanahan, who's the offensive genius. They got an easier division. They got an easier conference. You're going to go over to the AFC? Now, look, the mighty Pittsburgh Steelers are in a rebuild mode, or they're going to be in a rebuild mode once Ben Roethlisberger retires, I'm assuming, after the 2021 season. And you still have Kansas City, but Cleveland's getting better. Baltimore's going to be strong. Um, we don't know about Indianapolis with Carson Wentz, what he's going to do for the quarterback position. Houston's a train wreck. Um, you know, maybe in a couple of years that you could say the AFC, as far as team per team by team by team is concerned, is the weaker conference than the NFC, who still have the Los Angeles Rams, who still have a strong defense in the Washington Snyder Skins, who have a um, pretty good, done. you know, we'll see what pans out with Justin Fields and those guys. But I, I would think that, um, you know, any conference that has Kansas City in it, I'm not going to have any part of if I'm Aaron Rodgers. But he said Denver and the, and the Raiders. You're going to put your trust in Mark Davis? You don't like the upper management of Green Bay, but Mark Davis of the Raiders, is that gonna, that's going to be your guy if Denver can't get it done for you? All right. All right. So I'll go ahead and I'll Talk about that. I'll babble on and ramble on about that later on in the podcast. And on the last segment, I'm going to uh, end it with uh, thoughts and opinions about my favorite wrestler of them all. I saw the A&E biography last Sunday. Watched the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin biography. Watched the Roddy Roddy Piper biography. And then I watched my man, my wrestling hero, my favorite, number one, with a bullet, in cement. No one can be any higher. Randy Macho Man Savage. So watch that documentary. I saw the Vice 
documentary about him. So I know pretty much about uh, Randy Savage in terms of his career and what he did with Miss Elizabeth and what he did with Gorgeous George and all of those other things and how he basically became a wrestling recluse once his wrestling days were over. And I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent expert on the outside looking in when it comes to Randy Macho Man Savage. But A, the subject and character himself is too is too tasty of a meal for me not to uh, devour if it's going to be on television talking about him. B, melancholy feelings when... I see Miss Elizabeth. Uh, you know, I mean, what, August 24th, 1985? Man, as a 16-year-old boy, seeing Miss Elizabeth walk through that door and walk into that ring, along with, uh, you know, to be introduced at the Macho Man's manager. Man, that changed my life, man. That was a life-altering moment right there when Miss, when Miss Elizabeth came in. Because I was used to Lou Albano. I was, I was used to Mr. Fuji. I was used to Bobby the Brain Heenan. And all of a sudden now, here comes Miss Elizabeth. Hello! Before that, you didn't have females like that. Before that, I mean, this was before Sable, and this was before Trish Stratus, and this was before Lita, and this was before uh, Terry Runnels, and this was before all those beautiful females came into the uh, wrestling federation. This was before uh, Nancy Benoit. I mean, for me, Miss Elizabeth was the first one. So when I saw her, I was like, goodness gracious, you got to remember, yeah, you think about it. I mean, she was the first sex symbol was she was the first one who uh you knew used her sexiness or attractiveness as far as in the pro wrestling business i mean as i mentioned before there was no sables there was no uh uh females like that they did come after miss elizabeth but you know for the most part and she was the foundation in terms of what we see today with uh um, rick flair's uh daughter um ashley ashley flair uh charlotte uh you know with charlotte and and uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and Naomi and how about that? I'm, I'm naming the f- most attractive ones first. My bad. But uh, you know uh, the beautiful Bianca Belair. I mean, what we're seeing now—the revolution as far as women being in the wrestling business and being fantastic performers and really being strengths to the organization, being the superstar with the Becky Lynches and the Trish Stratus. I mean, that all started. August 24th, 1985, when Miss Elizabeth came walking through that door. So I've always been intrigued. I think there hasn't been enough. There hasn't really been enough uh, info and storytelling about Miss Elizabeth. So I think A&E did a pretty good job in melding those two together. I mean, it was a Randy Savage biography, but it paid a lot of attention also to Miss Elizabeth. And how could you not? One of the greatest wrestling angles in the history of wrestling in terms of his treatment of Savage, you know, the beauty and the beast and all those type of things and a situation where now you look at it and say, Gee, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if someone could get away with that. You know, if, if Piper was still living, I would have loved to ask him, you know, in the day, in the day now where you have the WWE and, you know, you have shareholders and you're taking it, you know, you're taking it more to the public and you're taking it more to the mainstream and all these type of things. Would a Roddy Roddy Piper character that you had in the eighties would that would that work today? And in, in the year twenty twenty one, it would be awesome for the Attitude Era. I can only imagine Piper going nuts in the Attitude Era when you had Stone Cold throwing up middle fingers and drinking beer, and you know you had Val Venus and all these folks. I mean, Piper would would have just fit right in and just would have thrived and been fantastic like he would be in any era. 
But it's like in today's day and age with the Me Too movement and everything like that and, you know, censorship and all these type of things and, you know, it's got to be out there for the kids and all that. How would Roddy Riley Piper, how would you, how would you craft your character for the year 2020? Rather than when you were doing it in, you know, 1983, 1984, in the early 80s when you were down in Los Angeles doing those things and coming the way up and, you know, hitting um, hitting uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker with a coconut and throwing bananas at him and all that type of stuff. I mean, that shit wouldn't work today. So how would you, how would you get over today? And it'd be the same thing with Savage. How, how great would Savage be today? Because would he still be allowed to browbeat? Would he still be allowed to treat Elizabeth Hewlett like he did, uh, you know, today like he did, uh, you know, when he was doing it back in the 80s, which, you know, started to build and what really got the Macho Man over? In terms of that stuff, I think it would be more, I think it would be more applicable if Miss Elizabeth treated Savage like that. I mean, if for Savage to treat Miss Elizabeth in any disrespect, any kind of way in today's age, it would have to be starting off to where Miss Elizabeth would be the bully toward Randy Savage and belittle and bully him before Savage finally got enough stones to stand up to her. Not in a physical way. I'm not saying that he would put her hands on her or anything like that, but you know, to kind of leave her or, you know, do something like that or, you know, maybe get uh, a female wrestler to take care of his business physically wise with her because we don't want to see men putting their hands on a woman in any type of physicality. So Savage would then go ahead and get him, get him a, um, get him a Bianca Belair or, or the beautiful um, Alexa Bliss or something like that, or Sasha Banks to go ahead and to uh, physically take care of Miss Elizabeth, an angle like that. But it would be so much different today than it was back when Savage was doing his thing. Oh yeah. So want to get into the savage talk, the Randy Macho Man Savage, my hero, my man, when it came to wrestling. As I mentioned before, if you're speaking about the top five all-time favorite greatest wrestlers, top three or four, I'm too old to be sitting there talking about, ooh, Roman Reigns, you're my guy, you're my all-time favorite. I'm too, I'm too late in life for me to be sitting there talking about, ooh, yeah, Kenny Omega, my life has changed when I saw that match when he had against John Moxley. I can't. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, I don't understand what it is as far as the business is concerned. So as a young lad, I could say that, you know, with guys like Tito Santana, guys like Rocky Johnson, no, not The Rock, but his father, Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, and those guys, those guys, I didn't know back in the days that, I mean, I had, I was suspect of, this can't be real, can it? But, you know, I was too young to sit there and be like, ah, oh, yeah, come on, this is choreographed. What they should do in the next angle is, you know, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't take to that right away when I was watching the Iron Sheik and Bob Backlund and, and all of those guys wrestle. But, uh, yeah, so my favorites, without a question, without doubt, top five is Savage, Randy Macho Man Savage, number one, The Rock, number two, Number three, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Number four was uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. And number five of my greatest wrestlers of all time. Oh, it all depends. Goes back and forth. One time it could be Tony Atlas. Another time it could be um, Tito Santana. Another time it could be you know, Ric Flair was never one of my guys. Um, 
but you know, four fluctuates depends on Bret Hart, love to death, uh, Kurt Angle, fantastic. Um, you know, it all depends. Jake the Snake, awesome. The Ravishing One, Rick Rude, one of my all-time favorites. So, you know, one through four are pretty much set in stone. And uh, five through whatever just changes on how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking about, and what kind of mood I'm in. But yeah, Savage, The Rock, um, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. Those four will never change. So, yeah, man, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that as far as the at the end of the podcast is concerned. And uh, I don't know, man. I'm maybe talk about miss I miss my Georgetown Hoyas. I miss talking about Georgetown. I miss watching Georgetown. No news, I guess you could say, is good news, sad news, disappointing news. Good news because, hey, no transfers. I mean, we had, um, you know, we had uh, Cutis. We had Cutis leave and go to Maryland. That sucks, but okay. Dig your own grave. You let your pimp decide where you wanted to go and leave you out of a great situation. Okay. You'll learn to regret that one. And um, TJ Berger, he transferred going to uh, San Diego going to uh, USD. So, I mean, that's a beautiful campus and he'll do well there. But uh, the writing was on the wall in terms of he wasn't going to be getting too much playing time, especially after we got ourselves the uh, shooter from the Citadel that uh, the writing was on the wall for TJ to uh, go somewhere and maybe go to a lower tier um, uh, competitive level type basketball and, uh, you know, do his stuff there. But, you know, other than that, I mean, Jabari Sibley is still with us. Uh, you know, all the other freshmen, Colin Holloway, is, hasn't announced that he's going to be transferring. Neither has, uh, neither has, uh, you know, Dante Harris. So, so far, so good on that front. You know, no news, quiet news sometimes means good news. And with the transfer portal now over 1,500, I mean, if those guys really did what, if, if Kobe Clark wanted to transfer, good luck to you. I don't know exactly where you're going to go. But, uh, so for that point in time, it's great. Aminu Muhammad hasn't decommitted. Ryan Matambo hasn't decommitted. Jordan Riley hasn't decommitted. So there hasn't been any of those news. But it's been sad and disappointing news because, man, I thought Patrick Baldwin Jr., I thought we had a chance. I thought we had a little bit of a chance. Now there's reports saying that these fucking assholes from Duke are uh, going to go ahead and um, work on Patrick Baldwin, Trevor Keels, right there in Paul VI and over in Fairfax, who made a huge decision, who made the huge mistake of going to Duke instead of going to Georgetown, could go right down the road and play for Georgetown. But you want to play for Duke, okay, five-star recruit. He's like, you know what, I'm a good friend with Patrick Baldwin, so we're going to do our gosh darnest to uh, bring him over to uh, Duke, and they probably will. So Patrick Baldwin's going to end up at Duke. It was always Duke, Milwaukee, uh, uh, Wisconsin, that's where his father's to coach, Georgetown, Kentucky, and a couple of other teams. But they said that, you know, Georgetown was a dark horse to get Patrick Baldwin Jr., who's a one-and-done five-star recruit, fit the need that we had, being able to be a stretch four. So would have been nice to get him. Would have been nice to get him. But you know what? Back in the day, it would have been nice for me to, uh, you know, go on a date with Marcy Andrews. You know, I mean, you know things happen for a reason. So, uh, you know, we're going to be moving forward. So, like I said, Georgetown, mixture of good news and bad news when there's no news. So, can't wait for Kenner League. Ooh, I cannot wait for Kenner League. Oh, and one more thing before I uh, get the break. Hey, man, special dedication going out to Albert Pujols. Um, the Anaheim Angels released him. Hall of Fame career. I think after he signed that, two, that $240 million contract for 10 years, 
after probably having the best 10 years of, I don't know, man. I'm not going to say he had the best 10 years of any player in baseball history. That's ridiculous. But his first 10 years in St. Louis were mind-bogglingly awesome. But uh, didn't end well for him. And uh, so he's moving on, and I don't know where he's going to play. I don't know if he's going to be able to play again, but um, one of the more dominant players who I think gets overlooked. He wasn't a braggart. He wasn't a guy who jumped in front of every camera. He played in a baseball city, St. Louis, but, you know, that was a little while ago. Um, That was a little while ago, so. You know, his career got kind of lost in Los Angeles playing for the Angels, but, uh, you know, he's, he was one of the uh, really good players. So he has been released. So special dedication going out to him. A really great guy also. Did the uh, league proud by the way that he conducted himself. So, And he also had a hand in the, you know, the development of Mike Trout. So Mike Trout was always talking about how fantastic of a teammate that he was. So, yeah, man. So special dedication going out to Albert Pujols. Made a whole lot of money. He made a boatload of money. So I mean, you know, he won't be working at Denny's. He won't be. Uh, he won't be looking for a nine to five. So good for him. All right. So uh, you know, that's what the uh, meal is. That's what the uh, agenda is. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. So um, yeah, man. On this Mother's Day, on this fantastic, wonderful, beautiful Mother's Day, out here in Northwest uh, Las Vegas. Out here in my humble abode, my town home, speaking about my mother, speaking about mothers, speaking about Mother's Day, speaking about how important they are, speaking about how strong of, of a foundational piece they are, not just to your household, but just to the world in general, no matter where they are on this big planet that we live in. Special dedications to all of you guys. So, you ready to get it started? You ready to uh, get it going? We ready to move, we ready to groove, we ready to get down and do some things. Let's do it.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Shalom. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Talking about what's happening in the NBA. Talking about one nation under a groove. Talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, their chances of winning their championship, of repeating as champions. What's going on, man? What's happening? I'm going to throw this out to Laker fans right now. Give me your thoughts and opinions. Give me your feeling right now. It's May 9th, Mother's Day. One one more week to go in the regular season. Right now, the Los Angeles Lakers are in the play-in game right now. The Los Angeles Lakers are in the play-in game right now. One more time, just to make sure it marinates. The Los Angeles Lakers are in the play-in game right now. After the loss to the Portland Trail Blazers, the schedule for the Lakers don't get any easier. LeBron James, we don't know when he's going to be coming back after aggravating that ankle injury. Anthony Davis playing through back spasm in a, in a bad Achilles. What's going on, man? What's happening? What is your th- thoughts and feelings about the Lakers right now? Because if I were you, I would be a little bit worried if I'm a Laker fan. Because right now they're sitting in they're sitting in seventh place. They are a well, game and a half behind the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a situation. They're two and eight in the last ten games. What's going on with you guys? Everybody is going to go on the assumption that once LeBron James comes back, that everything is going to be fine, that everything's going to get back to normal. If you remember, and of course, Laker fans, you do remember when the first half of the season was still going strong, was still happening. The Lakers were the best team in the NBA. The Lakers were the clear-cut favorites, not only to repeat as the Western Conference champions, but also to repeat as NBA champions. You had LeBron James playing at an MVP level along with along with James Harden and Giannis and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. But if he wasn't at the top of the list in terms of leading contenders for the most valuable player, then he was right there along with Jokic and Embiid. So it seemed like the entire season went downhill. The entire season went kaput. The entire season was left in peril when Solomon Hill fell on LeBron James' ankle, that high ankle sprain. Is that going to be the defining moment for the 2020-2021 season for the Los Angeles Lakers? If you're a Laker fan, the fact that A, the first body blow was was, uh, delivered that night at Staples Center when... Anthony Davis pulled up lane on the drive on the left side against Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, strained his calf, Achilles, whatever that was, and he missed a plethora of games. Then the incident, the incident that happened in Atlanta with Solomon Hill and LeBron James, the ankle injury, that's it. That was the one-two punch that KO'd the chances for the Lakers to repeat as champions. Because I thought in the beginning, I thought this would be a situation where, you know what, the Lakers could survive because... The Anthony Davis injury, I thought that they could could survive because of Dennis Schroeder, that he would come on strong, that he would pick up the pace. They still had um, Marcus Gasol, Cal Kuzma would play a bigger role. LeBron was still being LeBron, so he could hold down the fort until the until the Anthony Davis returned. And the fact that you know we're speaking about 
a season where there's not too many fans, if any fans, in these arenas for these games that once the playoffs hit, who really cares if the Lakers were in fourth place or in fifth place or didn't have home court advantage for the first or even second round of the playoffs? If you're speaking about LeBron and AD, you're speaking about two guys who have won a championship. And LeBron, you're speaking about the best player of his generation and the possibly greatest player of all time if you're speaking about LeBron James and the amount of playoff experience that he has if you're speaking about LeBron James the reputation and aura that surrounds him when he goes and plays these other teams and when you're speaking about the teams that could be playing the Lakers in the playoffs such as the Phoenix Suns such as the Utah Jazz such as um, maybe some others they don't have the experience that the Lakers have. None of the players, none of the star players have the experience that LeBron James has. None of the playoff teams that would be facing the Lakers with very minimal playoff experience don't have the type of firepower, don't have the type of experience to know what it's like to go through a playoff series. And the Lakers with LeBron and AD, um, that would be second nature to them, especially with LeBron who has spent almost half of his career either, either winning a championship or being in an NBA championship. So, I thought this was a situation that the Lakers could survive. And I thought this would be an excellent opportunity when AD went out for Dennis Schroeder now to become the second option as far as offense is concerned. Yes, there might have been some consternation that uh, with AD out that LeBron would be uh, getting using more minutes per game than he would uh, normally do during his career, especially when you're speaking about a 17-game season. But geez, man, I didn't think that this situation would happen with him being injured and him missing so much time. So, um, the Lakers, the Lakers are in trouble, man. The Lakers are in some serious trouble because everybody is just expecting LeBron's going to come back and everything's going to be fine. What type of player is LeBron going to be once the regular season ends and the playoff starts? What are we looking at here? Where are we going at here? What, what, what capacity is LeBron James going to be at? What Health is going. To, is LeBron James going to be at? Is he going to be at fifty-five percent? Is he going to be at sixty percent? Can a team like the Lakers win a championship? Can a team like the Lakers beat a squad like the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, the Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns? If you have LeBron James at fifty-five percent, and then you have Anthony Davis somewhere around sixty to sixty-five percent, we we don't know the amount of discomfort that Davis is experiencing right now going through the uh, end of the regular season, going now into the playoffs. And when you're speaking about a situation where, look, Andre Drummond can only do so much against some of the better centers in the uh, NBA or in the Western Conference that he's going to be facing if the Lakers go ahead and play a team like, say, for instance, the Denver Nuggets, then guess what? And that's going to be Andre Drummond that's going to be checking Nikola Jokic, for the most part, is going to be Anthony Davis with some help from Marcus Saul. How much of the injury is going to hamper the ability for Anthony Davis to be able to effectively guard Nikola Jokic, the presumptive MVP of the league, who's having a fucking awesome season? What does it mean? How much can Marcus Saul give? Now, in terms of guarding someone like a Nikola Jokic, uh, the tandem of Davis and Gasol can really be effective. Not stop him, but just annoying him, annoy him enough because of their length, because of their craftiness, because of their defensive intelligence, because of the scheme that they put in um, for the Lakers that they can, they can, they can annoy Nikola Jokic and throw him off some of his dominance. But if Davis is not going to be at the 
Maximov, he's not going to be at the health percentage to really be a force in that regard. Where did that lead the Lakers? You can't play Marcus Gasol 30 to 35 minutes a game on uh, Jokic. You can't put Andre Drummond, Drummond on him for any long period amount of time. So that's going to leave Nikola Jokic to go buck wild against those guys. And don't even mention the name Montrez Harold. Uh, we saw what happened last season with Montrez Harold trying to guard Nikola Jokic when Harold was with the Clippers and played the Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinals in Orlando. So that's not going to be happening. So it's a uh, it's a it's it's going to be an interesting proposition for the Lakers. Again, playing in the playoff game does that hurt? Does that help? Does that help? I mean, sometimes you start that winning process again, and the momentum starts going and Maybe the Lakers can be effective. Maybe there's someone else on that team that can step up and take over some of the responsibilities that would normally go to an Anthony Davis, that would normally go to a LeBron James. Maybe it is a Dennis Schroeder who's looking for a contract extension and more money. Maybe it is someone like a Kyle Kuzma who's trying to prove everybody that he is a guy that you can rely on that's a championship that's going to be on a championship contender. Maybe it is going to be someone like KCP who's been looking to expand his roles and responsibilities with the Lakers other than just being an outside shooter. Maybe it is going to be you know Taylor Horton Tucker, a guy who the Lakers have a lot of promise in now who can go into the playoffs and deliver 15 20 minutes of solid backup uh production when Schroeder and the others are on the bench taking a rest maybe, maybe he does add the type of uh versatility within the rotation that will give the Lakers a better chance to win who knows someone from that squad has got to step up someone from that from those uh names that I just mentioned have to uh, step up and do some things because just to rely on LeBron and AD like the majority of Lakers did last season, that's not going to be helping. Oh, and also an unsung hero from that championship run for the Lakers is no longer playing for Los Angeles. He's across the building or he's across the uh, hallway playing for the Los Angeles Clippers. And don't discount Rajon Rondo's impact, what he can have for the Clippers, the same amount of impact, the same positive impact that he had for the Lakers last season in their run for the championship, if he can provide that same amount of positivity on the court and impact for the Clippers, then unless LeBron miraculously gets a lot healthier along with Anthony Davis, it really doesn't matter what the Lakers are going to be at coming into a series with the Clippers. It doesn't matter what uh, role and responsibility or increased positivity that the Lakers can get from a Kuzma, get from a Drummond, get from a Schroeder, get from a KCP, get from a Kyle Kuzma, get from a Taylor Horton Tucker. If Rondo was doing a thing and Paul George brings the regular season performance that he's had into the playoffs along with a much healthier Kawhi Leonard, then it's going to be sayonara for the Lakers if they have to play the Clippers, whether it be in the semifinals of the Western Conference or in the Western Conference Finals. The Clippers, you know, sneakily have been one of the better teams coming down the stretch. Um, they still are trying to work in Patrick Beverly. They're still uh, trying to uh, get some of the kinks out. Serge Ibaka should be coming back before the playoff starts or at least by the time the playoff starts or at the very least by the time that the Clippers reach the second round or the Western Conference Finals. So 
the versatility of the Clippers and their lineups and what they can do is going to pose problems, not just for the Lakers, but also for a team like uh, the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns, and the Utah Jazz. And when you're speaking about the Phoenix Suns, their relative lack of experience in the playoffs, Devin Booker, their main guy, has never been to the playoffs. We, we don't know exactly how he's going to perform his first time in an NBA playoff. You know what's going to be happening with the Clippers. You know what's going to be happening after last season with the Utah Jazz, the performance that Donovan Mitchell put in that first round against the Denver Nuggets, only to be superseded in impact and usefulness by Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray, no longer with the squad, but you know it's gonna be uh, <laughs> it's gonna be something else, man. It is going to be something else with the Lakers, with the with the Lakers and the Suns and the Jazz. A lot of question marks. Can Jokic even bring his game up even more when the playoff starts to compensate for the loss of Jamal Murray? Can Michael Porter Jr. Raise his level game, his game up another level to uh, compensate for the loss of Jamal Murray. All of these things are going to be interesting subplots as the NBA playoffs begin very, very soon. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Spoke before about um, coaches in the NBA who might be on the hot seat. How much do these playoffs, man, really? I mean, we, we talk about who's going to win the championship, who's going to be doing this, who's going to be doing that. What about the situation where some of these coaches are going to be in? As I mentioned before, that Mike Bootenholder is likely gone at the head coach if the Milwaukee Bucks don't make the, the deep playoff run. run. This is according to uh, Sean Serenia and Sam Anik of The Athletic. That Bootenholder reportedly needs a deep playoff run this season to uh, save his job. And anything short of that, a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be looking for a brand new head coach. Um, You know, that's the way it goes. Coach Bud is going to have to overcome the stigma that he has as a head coach, as a guy who's wonderful in the regular season. He did the same thing with Atlanta when he was the coach of the Hawks. One coach of the year. Got them to uh, win 60 games that, that year that he had... Josh Smith and Kyle Korver and Al Horford and Jeff Teague on the team. But what happened? They got into the playoffs conference finals against the um, LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers. They got swept, and that was the end of that notion. Well, when Bootenholzer became the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, again, he had fantastic regular seasons, but not the success that many people were expecting when he made it to the playoffs. And when you have Giannis and Nenekupo, winning two MVPs and the way the Bucks went out so meekly, especially last season against the Miami Heat. Uh, yeah, someone's going to take the blame for this. And the amount of, uh, I shouldn't say the, the amount of money, but I mean, this is a situation where, look, Giannis is at the uh, Supermax. Chris Middleton is at the max. Is at the max. They resign or they signed Drew Holiday to an extension. There's a lot of money going into this team. And we're not speaking about a team that's located in Chicago, located in New York, located in Los Angeles. They don't have a huge TV deal in a big city market that the Milwaukee Bucks can uh, use 
in terms of helping with some of their financial situations. This is a team that's in a small market, relatively small market when compared to what a quote-unquote big market should be. And the amount of money that they're spending, man, you need results. And you need positive results more than just a team that's going to be making deep runs in just the semifinals of your conference. The Milwaukee Bucks, with the move that they made, signified that they should be at least, at the very least, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals and playing a hell of a series if they're going to lose against a team like the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets, if that is possible, depending upon what happens with the first and second seeds of the Eastern Conference. So, Bootenholder, this is a situation where, yeah, I kind of don't disagree with the Milwaukee Bucks organization to say, look, man, you know, this is a situation where if you can't get it done this season, and again, it all depends how they go out. If they lose in an epic seven-game series in the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Nets, there might be a little wiggle room. You might even go to Giannis and say, what do you think? But if they have the same similar type of playoff exits that they did the last two seasons, then, yeah, it's time for a boot holder to uh, go ahead and to relinquish his responsibilities as coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Who do you put in there instead? This would be a situation where I think someone of a Jeff Van Gundy type of uh, experience would be able, would should be able, or would be most telling in terms of being the next coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. When you're speaking about a squad that is built to win, built to win now, and built to win championships, Going with the first-time head coach, you're going with an assistant coach. I don't know if that always works. Now, it worked with the Toronto Raptors when they got rid of, uh, when Yusai Yajiri got rid of Dwayne Casey and went with Nick Nurse, who was on the coaching staff of the Raptors and in his first year as a head coach in the league. Toronto won the championship, but still, that is a very rare occurrence. So if you're ready to win right now, I mean, some of the names like a Wes Unsell Jr. or some of these young cats or some of these guys who have never been head coaches before, I don't know if I would entrust those guys to be my head coach for a team like Milwaukee who is expected to win now. On the other hand, if you take a look at a team like Sacramento where there's rumors spreading around that the um, that Luke Walton could be out the door if uh, the Sacramento Kings continue to play, finish the regular season on a sour note, that it would be a situation where, yeah, someone of lower experience would be able to uh, go ahead and to uh, take those jobs. But taking a look at what's happening, again, as I mentioned in the segment before, the hiring of these coaches is going to be very, very interesting. And if uh, it was was brought up uh, during the time when the, Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders and then immediately hired Chris Finch. It was brought up that, hey, man, you know what? Uh, There's a lack of black head coaches in the NBA. What's going on with that? And that was brought up. Kyrie Irving was the first player, I think, who brought that up as far as the player side is concerned about bringing this topic to the uh, forefront, to the spotlight. It'll be interesting, say, as I mentioned before, the Orlando Magic Relief Steve Clifford, if the Sacramento Kings relieve Luke Walton, if the Detroit Pistons relieve Dwayne Casey, if the Milwaukee Bucks relieve Mike Bootenholders, and there's always either a surprise firing or a retirement or something like that. If there's going to be six or seven openings for head coaches are concerned, it'll be interesting to see how many of the coaches that fulfill those roles 
are going to be black. And if we're sitting here where there's going to be seven openings and only one or two black head coaches get the job, then it'll be interesting to see what direction the players union and other players of consequence and impact are going to, uh, are going to have on this are going to have, or if they're going to say anything about this. So, Oh man, it's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting, but the NBA moving forward, getting to the playoffs, interesting season, awkward season, regular season. I'm glad that it's almost over. I'm interested now to get to some games that are really going to be of consequence. New storylines, new happenings, new what-ifs, new what-if consequences, all of those things. The NBA playoffs, I am very much looking forward to. Thanks for the times that you've given me The memories are all in my mind And now that we've come to the end of our reign there's something I must say out loud You once, twice, three times a lady And I Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss and get down on today in the world of sports, a Mother's Day edition. I just wanted you to know that I'm going to be recording this. I'm recording this currently on a early Saturday morning. So I'm doing this on an early Saturday morning because tonight Canelo Alvarez is fighting and I want to go ahead and watch that. So on my next podcast, I'll be giving my thoughts and opinions about Billy Joe Saunders versus Canelo Alvarez. Um, so even though you might be listening to this on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I just want you to know that this is being recorded on an early Saturday morning. So the biggest fight, I guess you could say in the next, the last couple of months, Billy Joe versus Canelo, I'll be discussing on my next podcast because by the time this is done, completed and everything, the fight will, uh, will not have started yet. And I'm serving some time, I'm giving some time for myself to go ahead and uh, watch Canelo. Got my chips, got my Tootsie Rolls, got my soda, got everything that's horrible for me, for my fat ass that does not to be need to be eating. But when you're speaking about Canelo Alvarez, it's, a, uh, it's an event night for me. When you're old and you're pathetic and you're a loser like me and Saturday night comes around, this excites me. So there you go, Canelo fighting tonight. Not going to be talking about it on this podcast, recording it on a Saturday morning. But you can believe me, win or lose, 
which should be an easy win for Canelo. I will be speaking about that on my next podcast sometime later on this upcoming week. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. All right, let's do this. Let's do this on this special Mother's Day edition. Let's talk about the latest on the beautiful mystery wrapped in a world of confusion. These are the days of our lives with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Reports regarding what is going on. It's taking on the absurdity of a three-hour tour with Gilligan and the skipper piloting the ship with the professor, the Howells, Ginger, and Marianne still hanging out with these guys. So I don't know what the hell is going on, but John Kuhn, who was teammates with Rodgers for nine years on the Packers, said the said he recently spoke with the three-time MVP during an interview with Zach Greb of CBS Sports Radio, and he said that Rodgers loves being a member of the only NFL team that he's ever known and is feeling conflicted because of his love to play the game of football, wants to have more control of his career, so he will be the person making the decisions on his future playing in the league. Okay, so now, when this first story first came out, we came out with, the, well, you know, Packers, uh, Rodgers does not want to return to the Packers. He's telling some in the organization, again, you see, when you don't get out in front of these things and we don't see you, we don't hear you, I mean, if you're really adamant about not playing for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, take a page from a lot of the NBA players. Take a page from those guys. I mean, did, was James Harden... Did James Harden throw any mixed signals out there about him wanting to stay with the Houston Rockets or him not wanting to be with the Houston Rockets anymore? No, James made it clear that he did not want to be with the Houston Rockets. He did everything he could to show everybody that he did not want to stay with the Houston Rockets. If you want to go back into history, even more concerning NBA players not wanting to be with their team and making it well known to everybody that they don't want to be on the team that they're currently with. Go back to Charles Barkley when he was playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. That man called the city racist. That man called the owner racist. That man spit on a kid. That man threw somebody out of a window in Orlando. That man did everything humanly possible. He ripped the hell out of Corn Shackelford. He talked about how... The Philadelphia 76ers organization, the only reason why they have a white guy on the team is because to appease the, uh, to appease the, uh, uh citizens of Philadelphia who are all racist, the Philo- city of Philadelphia is all racist. He did everything humanly possible to get out of Philadelphia. He wanted to be traded. He was tired of the Sixers organization, not putting a team around him that could, uh, compete with Michael Jordan and the Bulls during their ascension, and he was tired of it. He was tired of dealing with that bullshit. He was tired of playing with Rick Mahorn and Manute Bowl and all those guys. Well, those were, those were his two best friends. But basically, I mean, he was just, he did everything humanly possible to let everybody know that he wanted out of Philadelphia. He, he didn't give a damn who he had to run over. He didn't give a damn who he had to throw under the bus. He didn't care what bridge he had to napalm. He was going to do everything humanly possible to get out of Philadelphia. With Aaron Rodgers, who knows what he wants? I want, he told somebody organization that he does not want to return to the Packers. What the hell does that mean? Does that mean that you're not coming back? Does that mean that there's no way, no how you're not coming back? Who are the people that you told in the organization? Then we have the report that, well, uh, Mark Murphy and Matt LaFleur and Brian Kunigitz, whatever the uh, GM name is, they went down to uh, try to talk to him and he said, no, no, no. So obviously that means that he wants out of Green Bay. If he turned down a contract extension or he turned down an opportunity to rework his contract with the Packers and 
Uh, he told free agents, that I'll get to in just a quick second, that, uh, you know what, if you guys are looking to come to Green Bay because I'm going to be there long term, I wouldn't go there if I were you because I'm thinking about not coming back and all of this other stuff. Come on out and say it. Again, come out, Aaron Rodgers, and say I don't want to be part of the Green Bay Packers organization, and I hope that they can go ahead and trade me somewhere. I hope that you know we can work together to find the best possible scenario for me and for them. You need to come out and say again, this has nothing to do with the city of Green Bay. This has nothing to do with the Green Bay Packers fans and community and organization in terms of the fan base is concerned. I've loved my time in Green Bay. Green Bay will always be a second home for me. Green Bay will always have a special place in my heart for me. The Green Bay Packers organization itself, my teammates, my coaches, they all have a special place in my heart for me. This is somewhere that you know I'll always consider with fondness and lovingness and all those type of things, but... At this stage in my career, it's time for me to move on and do something else. At this stage in my career, you know, with everything the way it is right now, it's about time I got to look after myself. I got to look after my family. This is not about money. This is not about me hating the city. This is not about me hating the fans. I love the fans. The fans are the greatest NFL community in all the sports. I mean, just go on and gush and gush and gush and gush about the fans and the community and their time in Green Bay. And I came here as a boy and I'm leaving as a man and I can't thank you enough. And you've seen me grow up and all of this stuff. Just gush and gush and gush. But then at the end of the day, make it plain, make it sure, make it you know obvious that you want to be traded. And say, you know what? I hope the Packers organization and myself can work together to get the best case scenario for them and for me. And that's all he needs to say. That's all he needs to do. But, you know, he's having people speak for him. It was the same thing with Deshaun Watson, man, before he got, you know, caught up in all this nonsense. Let us know what you're feeling, man. Let us know what you're thinking. But all of a sudden, if you go ahead and you say this, then all of a sudden the, the, the big Green Bay Packers community is going to turn on you or something like that. All of a sudden, you're going to be known as a bad guy or something like that. You're going to be the heel in this program. Come on, man. I mean, it's already out there. And we're left to, to guess. So most people are, are under the assumption that you're looking to leave the Green Bay Packers. Go ahead and say it. So I don't know. Or maybe go ahead and say, you know what? There's some things that we need to work out. This relationship between me and the Packers organization is broken, but I want it to work because I... Always, I've always wanted to uh, stay with the same football organization my entire life. I, I, uh, you know, I admire what Dirk Nowitzki did. I admire what Cal Ripken did. I admire what uh, Jim Brown did. I admire what Kobe Bryant did. I admire these guys who became legends. I admire these guys who became the franchise's legends and ambassadors by staying with their team for the longest period of time. What Richie Miller did, what Don Hudson did with the Green Bay. I want to be like that. I want to be like Bart Starr. I want to be like Don Hudson. I want to be one of those guys. I want to be like Willie Davis. I want to be like Ray Nisky. I want to be like Paul Horning. I want to be like one of the all-time Packer greats when you see my number and my name in the Ring of Honor or when you go down to Lombardi Avenue or something, whatever, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to have a street named after me and all those type of things with the assumption, with the knowledge that, hey, you know what, started my career here, finished my career here, got a championship here, won a Super Bowl here, won an MVP here, going into the Hall of Fame, one place, one place, one place, Green Bay Packers. Want to idolize, want to go ahead and do what Dan Marino did, want to go ahead and do what John Elway did. That's what he should say. 
But as of right now, you know, there's stuff that needs to be worked out. Say something. <laughs> Stop having people talk for you. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Uh, John Kuhn, again, who was a teammate of Rogers for nine years with the Packers, who said that, you know, he loves being the only NFL team. He loved that the Green Bay is the only NFL team that he's ever known and is feeling conflicted because he loved the game of football. And, you know, if he is going to go ahead and, you know, be true to this and say, I'm not going to play football for you guys ever again, I'll go ahead and retire. Then, you know, he's basically, he doesn't want to do that yet. He still loves playing the game of football. So, you know, Koontz also said that, you know, he, there is, he believes that, you know, he wants to go ahead and secure his future with the Packers. Okay, well, that's true. Then why are there reports saying that when the GM flew out to see you in California, the, that you turned down the opportunity to rework your contract? Now, is that fake news? Is that false news? Is that not correct? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't privy to the information. I wasn't privy to the notes that took place in that meeting. So I don't know. There is a 2022, you know, out on Rogers' contract, which in theory could you know, clear the way for Jordan Love to take over because we don't know if Jordan Love is ready to take over for 2021. People are speaking about, you know, what are the, what are, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do if he, you know, holds, you know, sticks to his guns and doesn't play? Well, what are the Packers going to do? You go three, thir- you go 13 and three for two straight years and make it to the NFC Championship two straight years and then that's it. Then you're going to go ahead and place Jordan Love. I mean, if you're going to go with Jordan Love, are there any other veterans that you might want to uh, consider, you know, moving on? Because what would be the point if you've got Jordan Love going into 2021? And if you're so adamant about keeping Aaron Rodgers around because it gives you the best chance to win, that then really proves that Jordan Love is not even close. It's not even close to being ready. I mean, I would have more faith in the Packers and where they're going and with the development and the readiness of Jordan Love if the Packers did acquiesce and trade Aaron Rodgers because their thinking would be, hey, you know what? Yeah, we might take a, a step back or two. You don't lose your MVP and one of the uh, great quarterbacks of the game today and get better. But with Jordan Love, with the haul that we can get for Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love is ready to be the quarterback that can be that guy under center that can lead us to a championship within two to three years if we start building right now. Right now, we don't know if Jordan Love is the guy. The Packers don't know if Jordan Love is the guy. Matt LaFleur doesn't know if Jordan Love is the guy. There were reports talking about, you know, with one of the trade scenarios dealing with the Denver Broncos and the Green Bay Packers, the trade for Aaron Rodgers would mean that the Packers would obtain Drew Locke, the starting quarterback for Denver. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. If I'm, if I'm a Packer fan, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. We moved up a couple of spots to draft Jordan Love in anger and piss off Aaron Rodgers. And then when we trade for Aaron Rodgers, we're going to bring in a third round quarterback, a quarterback that was drafted in the third round a few years ago to compete with Jordan Love. My thinking would be, the hell with that? If we're going to be trading Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love should be the guy to take over as a new starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. What are we doing bringing in another quarterback from another team who that team is frustrated with and doesn't know if he's the answer as their starting quarterback? So we're going to bring in someone else's problem to compete with a guy that we don't even know if he can be able to become a starting quarterback yet? What, what's going on here? What's happening here? That would be my thought process if there's even talk 
about the Packers acquiring a quarterback in a trade for Aaron Rodgers. If you're going to be letting Aaron Rodgers go, man, hey, Jordan Love better be that guy. Let's start the Jordan Love era and see what we've got. So common sense, if it's you know, in the contract for Aaron Rodgers, if it's true, hey, 2022, there's an out in this contract. So if there, there should be enough common sense among Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to say, all right, look, we're going to go and take this year by year, okay? And by 2022, we'll go ahead and reevaluate what's happening. And with that, we can restructure Aaron's contract for 2021 and 2022 or whatever, you know, maybe give him some more money, maybe give him some more security, maybe give him some more guaranteed money, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. You know, restructure the contract to where, you know, instead of the end of the contract being 2022, maybe we move it for another two years, but the last two years are are non-guaranteed. But if we go ahead and we extend this contract, that means there's more upfront money, guaranteed money that we can give him. So while the language of the contract might say that we've extended this contract to the year 2024 or 2025, because of the particulars and the guaranteed and the signing bonus that basically it's still a two-year contract. So even if they wanted to go ahead and do that, that would be fine. But they said that Rodgers isn't amicable to it. So I don't know. I don't know. You think the Green Bay Packers, let's go ahead, get this done. And then at the age of 39 in 2022 with Aaron Rodgers, we can reevaluate again. What's the relationship like with between him and Matt LaFleur? The first two seasons have been fantastic for uh, that working relationship. 13-3 winning a playoff game in each year, making it to the uh, championship game each year. Rodgers putting up fantastic numbers under Matt LaFleur. I don't, I don't know exactly what other opportunity he can go to find that type of success somewhere else. And a guy like Matt LaFleur, who Taylor made his offense to accentuate the positives of Aaron Rodgers' quarterbacking skills. I, I don't know exactly where else he's going to go. Denver's supposed to be the number one choice. Well, Again, Nick Fangio is a defensive guy. Now, we don't know who the offensive coordinator is. We don't know who the quarterback coach is. Maybe in Denver that there's a relationship with Rodgers in that side of the football in terms of the coaching staff is concerned, offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. But seems to be working pretty well with the uh, Green Bay Packers and Rodgers with Matt LaFleur as the head coach slash offensive coordinator slash offensive genius. So... Las Vegas Raiders? I mean, what what has the offensive coordinator done with Derek Carr so far? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. The San Francisco 49ers, the other destination that Rodgers said he would be interested in getting traded to, of course, Cal Shanahan, that would be uh, fantastic. But, I mean, in a situation like that, I mean, the 49ers just drafted Jordan, uh, just drafted Trey Lance. So, in a trade with the 49ers, I'm guessing that the 49ers would be wanting to uh, get rid of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, and that would be, you know, a situation within a trade that have Jimmy Garoppolo go to the uh, 49ers, I mean, go to the Green Bay Packers. But then again, what do you do with Jordan Love in all of this if you're going to be bringing in someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo? So who knows? Who knows, man? By all these reports... Aaron Rodgers is all over the map. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Even the ESPN, ESPN Adam Schefter, he was reporting that the 
Packers are looking to sign another quarterback to join Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers um, when training camp starts on the assumption that um, Aaron Rodgers is going to be back and competing and playing quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. They've been, according to Schefter and his reporting, the Packers have been exploring options with regard to quarterbacks they could potentially bring in for OTAs and training camp. Um, some of the quarterbacks are Robert Griffin III, Brian Hoyer, Blake Bortles, Josh McCowan. Maybe they'll try to go ahead and talk Alex Smith into coming back out of retirement. You have Brett Hundley, who was a former uh, Rogers backup when he was with Green Bay. Nick Mullins, who started a few games for San Francisco when Garoppolo got injured. So there's a situation that the Green Bay Packers have to deal with that. According to the Athletics' Bob McGinn, Rogers have been, has been mocking GM Brian, uh, Brian or Bob Gutekiss in a very specific way in, a group, in group chats with teammates, calling him Jerry Krause. Well, if I'm Gutekiss, that's uh, that, that mocking to being compared to Jerry Krause. That's a pretty high compliment because last time I checked, um, in his field of expertise, Jerry Krause being the GM of an NBA basketball team, doesn't he have six rings? Isn't this a situation where he's in the Hall of Fame? If you're going to be, that's supposed to be mocking. That's supposed to be making fun of me. Aaron Rodgers comparing Gutekiss to Jerry Krause. Sounds pretty good to me. I mean, you know, I mean, why? Just because, I mean, are, are, so is Aaron Rodgers trying to be a bully here? But mainly if you watch the um, the documentary about the, you know, the last ride Chicago Bulls, and if you were there and you lived it, you understood that Jordan and Pippen and, and Phil Jackson and those guys basically bullied Jerry Krause. It was shameful. It was disgusting. It was juvenile. It was ridiculous, but, you know, you make fun of the way the guy looks or his weight and all these type of things. So, you know, instead of acknowledging the fact that, guess what, MJ, you wouldn't be winning six championships if it wasn't for Jerry Krause. And with you being an owner of an NBA franchise and you actually trying to do the job of Jerry Krause and failing miserably when you were the president of basketball operations, A. Poland had to fire your ass because of your ineptitude and in trying to do the job that Jerry Krause did. That by having and also having a number one draft pick, and you still messed that up by drafting Kwame Brown. So if if anybody should be a little bit um, you know uh, tail between the legs ish, it should be Michael Jordan now realizing how hard it is to actually put together a championship. Yeah, guess what, uh, MJ? Organizations and players do win championships. It's a collective agreement. It's a collective. Uh, working relationship there. So for Aaron Rodgers to sit there and think that he's going to be a big man and think that he's going to strut around, number one, Aaron Rodgers, you're not as great in your craft as Michael Jordan was in his craft. And that's not a put down. That's just not to say that you're not the greatest quarterback of all time or you're not one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, just like MJ, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. So I should say, well, should I say that about Aaron Rodgers? One of the greatest? That's a that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, to sit there and mock Jerry Krause, okay. Jerry Krause won six championships. Jerry Krause is in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, you know, if Goody Kiss can get half of the accolades, can do half of the job, can achieve half of the accomplishments that uh, 
Jerry Krause did, then Bob Gutekiss is going to be going into the Football Hall of Fame also, right, right along there with Ron Wolf, who solidified his spot by bringing a championship to the uh, Green Bay Packers back when he got Reggie White and all those type of and all those and all those guys. So, you know, that's 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 um Rogers' new deal, huh? That's how he's getting his erect that's how that's his new way of getting his direction when he's not out there with his wife, huh? Okay. Making fun of uh making fun of Bob Gutikis. All right. All right. So, you know. And as I mentioned before, NFL Networks uh Mike Garofalo reported on Wednesday that Rogers told some of the Packers impending free agents as early as the start of last season that he didn't expect to be sticking around in Green Bay. So again, this is what happened last season. So I, I again, I have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. I don't even know if Aaron Rodgers has any idea what's going on, but Man, can we please get some clarity here? Can we please figure out what's going on? Because I'm tired of playing Angela Lansbury. I'm tired of playing um, Sherlock Holmes. I'm tired of trying to be the detective guy. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of all of this stuff, man. Aaron Rodgers, get in front of the camera and please, once and for all, tell us how you're feeling about your relationship between yourself and the Green Bay Packers and what is your next move. <music> In a world like today, it's a rare occasion to be able to see young mothers like the ones that were around when I grew up. But they live on in memory to quite a few of us. And this song is dedicated to those who cherish that memory. Early one Sunday morning Breakfast was on the table there was no time to eat she said to me boy hurry to Sunday school filled with a lot of glory we learned the whole story she'll always have her dream Despite the things this troubled world can bring Oh, say, don't you know we love you, sweet Sadie Place no one above you, sweet Sadie Well, 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 living in the past Sometimes it seems so funny Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful, wonderful, fantastic, talented, strong mothers out there. Thank you so much. This world would not be where it is today as far as the positive is concerned without you. For those who just give birth to children, go fuck yourselves. You're worthless. We don't need you. Get lost. Scram. You're a detriment. You're a negative on our society. But those true mothers who do their absolute best to do the best they can to raise those who are going to be taking care of me, taking care of you, taking care of our grandkids, taking care of the next generations, and so on and so forth. 
Thank you for everything that you do. We need you. We love you. We're thankful for you. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us recording this again on a Saturday morning. So for those listening, those wanting to listen to my thoughts and opinions about Canelo Alvarez versus Billy Joe Saunders, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. But don't worry. My next podcast is going to be coming out in a few days on Monday, heading up to Mesquite, Nevada for a couple of days, get some work done, then I'll be back. So, depending upon how these kids treat me, I will have enough time to get something down, to get something started, to get some thoughts formulated in my head to put together a podcast, and maybe by that Wednesday or Thursday, something should be coming out, depending upon what's going on. We'll see what happens in the NBA. We'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what happens if there's anything else going down in the world of sports. Maybe one of these days I'll actually maybe talk a little bit bit about Major League Baseball, but as everybody tells me, as Mr. MLB, Mr. Jerome always tells me, you know what, hey, you, season doesn't start till June, all right. All right, so we still got a couple of weeks away before that. So I don't know. The one great thing about sports, something always comes up to uh, make me want to talk about it. So there you go. Always keeping me on my toes. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking once again about Aaron Rodgers because Aaron has not made any public statements we still don't have a clear understanding on why Rodgers wants out. It almost reminds me a little bit of Kawhi Leonard. Remember when Kawhi Leonard missed most of the time with the uh, San Antonio Spurs that one year? He only played nine games, and he missed the beginning of the year because of a knee injury. Then he came back for nine games, and then he shut it down, and then he was supposed to come back, and no one knew when he was coming back, and he was trying to come back, and Tony Parker was talking about, hey, look, man, my injury was a lot worse than yours, and I'm out here playing. Where are you at? Mono Ginobili's like, hey, man, you know what? We're going to get to the point where it's just like, screw it. We're just going to have to go ahead and just go on the assumption that he's not coming back for this season. So everybody didn't know exactly what was going on. And Kawhi, you know, not being the most uh, ferocious guy to get in front of a camera or to give an interview or to uh, go on a microphone, get on the microphone and then say anything with A-O-L, A-W-O-L, S-O-L-D, or whatever you want to call it, as far as... uh, his injury update and status is his concern. It was just like, I'm just trying to get better. I'm just trying to get better. I'm just trying to get better. So after everything that went down, Kawhi was like, ah, you know what? Now I want to be traded. So we were left with, okay, now why does he want to be traded? And then you heard reports talking about, well, he was upset because he was involved in contract talks or he was involved in trade talks when the Spurs were inquiring about Kyrie Irving when he wanted to be traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then he was talking about, you know what, I'm tired of playing in San Antonio because it's a small market and I need to go ahead and get endorsements and build my brand. So I need to be in a larger market and San Antonio is not doing it for me. Then there were reports coming out about, you know, the Spurs misdiagnosed his knee injury and were pressuring him to come back and they felt like he felt like you know that wasn't the right thing to do and where the loyalty and where's the love and where's the respect and where's all this type of stuff and then you throw in his uncle Dennis is coming out and not coming out and it was just a whole clusterfuck of what the hell is going on to the point where to this day we still don't know why Kawhi Leonard wanted out of uh, San Antonio ultimately he got traded to Toronto won a championship in one of the most beautiful cities in North America. Then he went back to uh, Los Angeles, recruited Paul George, and uh, now he's with the Los Angeles Clippers. So his contract 
he, he can opt out of his contract coming up. We never know with this guy, man. I mean, you know, who knows? But it's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Right? What what is it? What's going on here? Because we're getting conflicting reports. Is he upset with the ownership? Is he upset because they drafted Jordan Love? Is he upset because he doesn't have a chance to win a championship? Is he upset because of what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did, doing everything they can to get a championship, to build a championship, offensive championship team around Tom Brady and not doing enough for himself? I don't know exactly what it is. Is is he upset because... Is Aaron Rodgers upset because a situation where... They released Jordy Nelson and fired his close quarterback coach, which he, which he had a close relationship with, and he's still holding on some type of, uh, of uh, you know, pains and anger about that. Who knows? Who knows? So I was reading a story the other day by ESPN staff writer Rob uh, Damoski. It was titled Aaron Rodgers Packers Standoff, What's Behind It? how they make amends, what split, what a split could mean. So according to the story, as I was reading here, the decision to draft Jordan Love out of Utah State with the first pick, the fact that they moved up to draft Jordan Love from Utah State with the first round pick, the fact that they didn't even tell Aaron Rodgers about them moving up to draft Jordan Love with their first round pick, uh, angered Rodgers, soured the attitude that Rodgers had toward the organization, and according to a source who has known Rodgers since he came into the NFL, he said that he predicted that Rodgers would be irate over the pick, but not take it out on Love like uh, Brett Favre had taken it out on him when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers with the number 24 pick. And that turned out to be true. That turned out to be true. I mean, Rodgers, according to Jordan Love and everybody else, I mean, was also, I, I don't know the man... Uh, Jordan Love, so I don't know how sincere he is, or I don't know when he's putting on his sincere face, or he's putting on his, well, I have to do this just to protect Aaron Rodgers' face, but he's always mentioned the fact that, hey, you know what, Aaron Rodgers has always been nice to me, Aaron Rodgers has always been a professional with me, yeah, we're we're not going to be best friends, and yeah, we're not going to be naming each other's kids after each other, and yeah, we're not going to be roommates and bringing a camera crew so we can do a reality show, no, we're, we're not going to do anything like that, we ain't breaking bread, but uh, there's no animosity, there's no ill will, there's no awkwardness, there's no unpleasantries, there's no uh, feeling of um, shame or anything like that within the Packers organization, the locker room, the team room. Um, you know, Rogers hadn't been rude or curt or disrespectful or anything like that toward Jordan Love. And when you're in a working relationship with somebody, I mean, that's all you want, right? I mean, you know, just be on the up and up with me, just be honest with me. And, um, you know, let's see, we see what we can do, where we can both be successful in our careers, which in turn could help the team. Uh, win. So it wasn't Jordan Love's idea to be drafted by the Green Bay Packers. It wasn't Jordan Love who moved up to a spot where the Packers would draft him. He wasn't in charge of that. So why would Aaron Rodgers go ahead and take that out on Jordan Love? Interesting. But when you take a look at egos, when you speak of egos, I mean, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have been the first person, nor was Brett Favre the first person basically to treat someone who is threatening them for their job it was this is not you know uh, unmarked territory for a quarterback to treat someone like that like shit, you know if you go ahead and you take a look and go back into the angles of time about quarterbacks and their relationship with those who have been drafted by the organization to ultimately replace them. I mean, Joe Montana never warmed up or helped out Steve Young when he was 
acquired from the what Tampa Bay Bandits or the Los Angeles Express, whatever that team was in the USFL. Chris Chandler went out of his way not to help Steve McNair when McNair was drafted out of Alcorn State by Houston. Uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, they never had any backups or consequence or any threat to their job security. Why? Because uh, they weren't with that shit. Peyton Manning, it was his team. He's going to do things his way, and he's not looking for his replacement to be groomed by him to take his job, especially when he was going strong. Tom Brady, take a look at that. Do you ever remember Tom Brady having a decent backup to uh, to uh, threaten him or to challenge him? The, the New England Patriots ever in the 20 years that uh, Tom Brady was the quarterback, let's say, even if we're getting the year 15, 16, 17, 18 of the relationship between Tom Brady and the New England Patriots, did the Patriots ever do what the Green Bay Packers did? Not once, but twice. When you're speaking about drafting a quarterback in the first round to ultimately replace that quarterback that they have now who happens to be uh, the greatest quarterback of their generation or the greatest quarterback in their franchise history, a, the most decorated and accomplished quarterback in their franchise. Peyton Manning didn't have to deal with that. Tom Brady didn't have to deal with that. And the one quarterback who might have even threatened down the road to replace Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he was sent where? To San Francisco? Robert Kraft and Tom Brady was like, no, 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 no. There ain't going to be no talk about, is he ready? Do you think it's time for a change? When do you think the replacement's going to happen? When do you think the transition's going to happen? No, 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 no. There will not be any situations at all, anytime while I'm the starting quarterback or while I'm being employed and getting a paycheck from the New England Patriots where Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be on the field taking snaps with the first string. Ain't no way, ain't no how. It is not going to happen. So that's always been the ego of the uh, of the quarterback. That's always been the ego of a franchise quarterback of such great stature as a Peyton Manning, as a Joe Montana, as a Tom Brady. So, you know, that, there, there you go. The fact, what, the, the only time the Colts finally got a, an, op- an op- uh, opportunity to move from Peyton Manning is when he got a neck injury, missed the entire season. Many thought people thought his career might be over. Oh, and by the way, the Colts stunk, stunk out loud enough to where they could get Andrew Luck. So in a situation like that, when you're supposed to be getting the next Peyton Manning, when you're supposed to be getting the next Tom Brady in terms of what he could mean for the franchise, a broken down, old, neck injured, missing the whole season Peyton Manning was finally, finally, at the stage where the Colts could say hasta la vista, baby. So there you go. So, I mean, I don't blame, if, you know, if this wouldn't have been unprecedented, uncharted, uncharted waters if Aaron Rodgers would have been cool and would have been distant and would have been non-communicative with Jordan Love in a situation like that. But uh, he wasn't. He, he really wasn't. And it's interesting to think that way because wasn't uh, Aaron Rodgers supposed to be that guy who was supposed to be very difficult, was supposed to be diva-like? Do you remember that um, story that they had in Bleacher Report a few years ago? You might want to look it up. They were, you know, ex-teammates and old teammates were discussing Rodgers being a diva, distant teammates, hard to deal with, when he didn't like the way things were going. I mean, him and Mike McCarthy didn't have the best relationship 
Um, you know, there was you know situations where you know it was it was hard for a receiver to finally gain the trust of Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers had basically what James Harden had with the uh, control of the organization when James Harden was doing this thing in Houston. Aaron Rodgers had that type of uh, you know the sun sets and rises when Aaron Rodgers said so, and I don't give a damn who the coach is. I don't give a damn who the offensive coordinator is. I don't give a damn what Tom, Dick, and Harry own shares of the team. We run on Aaron Rodgers' time. So it's interesting, the fact that um, all of these things were coming out over the years about Aaron Rodgers and him being a a high-maintenance guy, the fact that he would uh, treat Jordan Love so well. Again, he didn't sit there and, you know, give the whole playbook to him and go ahead and say, let me give you all my secrets, but he was far from being uh, uh, difficult or disruptive in that situation. So, interesting. But as I mentioned before, when the Packers did draft Jordan Love, Rodgers was not happy. In fact, Rodgers said he was not thrilled by the pick and admitted his sincere desire to start and finish with the same organization may, may not be a reality at this point. So, then again, as I mentioned before in the last segment, the fact that Aaron Rodgers was telling people that, you know what, tell a free agent, say, you know what, if you're looking to go to the Green Bay Packers because of me and sign a two or three or four year deal, I wouldn't do that because chances are I ain't going to be there. So again, we have to get to the genesis of exactly when do these thoughts and feelings start to accumulate? When do they start to occur? Like for instance, when he was going through his difficulties, his disagreements with Mike McCarthy, was that the germation of saying, you know what, man, I'm getting to the point where this shit is starting to uh, really annoy me. So, I mean, Green Bay might have to uh, be in the rearview mirror uh, if things don't get any better. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? So, you know, I, I, in there's some ways that I'm explaining this here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. I can understand where Aaron Rodgers is coming from. Hey, man, you know, people are sitting there talking about, well, why does he have to know about what the Green Bay Packers are doing? Or is it an organization, this, that, and the other? Hey, man, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I've done everything that Aaron Rodgers has done for that organization, I mean, goddamn, really? You're going to go ahead one year after we made it to the NFC Championship game, one year after we made it to the NFC Championship game, Goody Kiss, you're going to go ahead and do some bullshit like this? Instead of giving me a wide receiver, instead of giving me something, you're going to go ahead and, and move up in the draft? To draft a quarterback to take my job? When I just come off the season I just came off of? Now, this was before the monstrous season that he had this past season. But still, Aaron Rodgers in 2019 was still one hell of a quarterback. Was still hell of an elite quarterback. And as I mentioned before, everything from his greatness, everything translated from individual to team success. Because Green Bay went 13-3. and So what's the problem? Where are we going here? We're right there. We are right there, and you're going to go ahead in the later stages of my career and draft a quarterback, move up to draft a quarterback, when on an interview he was saying, hey, you know what, I was taking a look at that uh, wide receiver from LSU. He looked pretty good. I really enjoyed him. Would be nice on my team. Looked at the wide receiver from Clemson. Hey, he looked pretty good. Would be nice to be to have him on my team. There was this kid I saw from Arizona State. Hmm, looked pretty nice. I can see myself working with him, this, that, and the other. So... Rodgers was under the assumption that, yeah, those guys are going to do everything they can to uh, get me that guy, to get me that player. 
could you imagine Jordan Jefferson or Justin Jefferson on the uh, Green Bay Packers instead of the Minnesota Vikings? Now, again, we could go back and speculate and talk about, again, moving back to the NFC Championship game. The Green Bay Packers didn't lose that game because they didn't have enough offense. This wasn't a situation where they were an wide receiver weapon away from winning a championship. It was because of a horrendous defensive play, especially from the cornerback positions, and untimely and an untimely turnover from Aaron Jones. But they were right there. It was a one-score game. And as I mentioned before in my last podcast, if the Packers would have won that NFC Championship game, and that they would have gone on to win the Super Bowl, would Aaron Rodgers still be holding that grudge about the organization drafting Jordan Love to the point to where he did not want to come back? So if we're speaking about Aaron Rodgers having another Super Bowl ring and all this hoopla that would be surrounding that and the attention and the praise and the accolades that would be coming with that, would Aaron Rodgers still be telling those within the Packers organization that he does not want to be coming back to the team this uh, upcoming season? (sighs) I don't know. But I can understand his anger. Maybe not enough to say I want to be traded, but I could see why he would be pissed off. I would be humongously pissed off. But I would have made my thoughts well known that I was pissed off in terms of, damn, man, really, you can't fucking call me, huh? I, I understand that, you know what, but you can't call me? Interesting. And it was a misstep by the Packers organization to think that, you know what, we need to go ahead and why in the hell are you looking to draft Jordan Love? Aaron Rodgers is still an elite quarterback. He shows no signs of slowing down. You went 13-3 and last season, so you're drafting Jordan Love. When were you then looking to move on to the Jordan Love era? Because if you're sitting there talking about, man, this guy's great, this guy's awesome, we can work with this guy, this guy's fantastic. If we draft him, when are we looking to play him? Now, it's speculation. We don't know. We don't know how he's going to uh, take to the community of Green Bay. We don't know, you know, exactly how it's going to translate. We have a good idea, but until we actually see it out there for real, we can only guesstimate. But in our opinion, it looks like this could be a guy that could be the quarterback for what, what season are we talking about? For 2021? 2022? 2023? Did you explain all that to Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I forgot. You forgot to actually call him and tell him to say, hey, look, Aaron, we're going to draft a quarterback, but we want you got we want you to know this is going to be for something far down the line. This guy is a project. This guy is extremely talented, great arm, this, that, and the other, but he ain't ready to play yet. He's not ready to play yet because A, he doesn't have the skills, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that, and B, he's not ready to play yet because you are still our guy. You are still our main man, and you're going to be our main man this season, and you're going to be our main man for the 2022 season. And you're going to be our main man. As long as you're under contract with us, you are going to be our main man. So, hey, man, you're 36 years old. You know, you're not going to be able to play forever. So, you know, there might be a situation down the line where you might need a change. We might need a change. You might need a change personally. We're just, you know, CYA in this situation because we're a franchise that likes to groom quarterbacks. So don't worry about it. We're not, going to, we're not asking you to babysit him. We're not asking you to groom him to take your spot in a season or two. This is just something to where, look, we're just going to, uh, you know, be careful. Have Jordan Love ready for the time that you say that you're done. 
But until that time, you are our quarterback. Now, he might still be hot under the collar because you're going to use that pick for a quarterback and not help him out in the immediate future. But still, there was no communication like that, I would guess, between Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers concerning that. So, I mean, Rodgers fooled them all. The Packers thought that he was done. I don't know exactly what that definition means. He was done. Are you explaining? Are you going to try to tell me when you're drafting Jordan Love that Aaron Rodgers is not an elite quarterback anymore? He's not a top five quarterback anymore. He might just become a game manager. I, I I don't know exactly what was going down. I don't know exactly what was the thinking in terms of drafting drafting Jordan Love to be the replacement, the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers, and then not go ahead and explain that in excruciating detail and not get on all fours and beg and plead for him to understand that as long as you want to be the quarterback with the Green Bay Packers, you can be the quarterback. You are going to be the quarterback. You are going to be the focal point of the franchise. You are going to be the centerpiece of this franchise for as long as you want it to be. And guess what? If you want to stay till 2025, oops, then I guess we can say that I made a mistake and drafted Jordan Love. But under no circumstances whatsoever, as long as you're wearing the Green Bay Packer uniform, Aaron Rodgers, that you will be threatened, that you will be talked about, that you will be under consideration for your position as the number one quarterback as the Green Bay Packers' number one quarterback, that will never be in jeopardy, that will never be in doubt, that will never be discussed. I don't... I don't know. I don't know if they did that or not. But crazy to me. The previous six seasons, before the 2020 season, starting in 2014, I mean, we're talking about a guy in Aaron Rodgers who had won the NFL MVP... We're talking about a guy who, as the starting quarterback for the Packers, had a 68-34 record. You're talking about a guy the last two seasons, or the first season with Matt LaFleur, went 13-3, made it to the NFC Championship game. You're speaking about a guy that, uh, you know, threw for over 21,000 yards, 176 touchdowns, and 32 interceptions, while completing 63% of his passes during that time frame. There was no evidence whatsoever, except maybe for a broken collarbone, by Anthony Barr when he fell on him at Lambeau Field later on in the season, in the 2017 season, that there was any indication, that there was any evidence, that there was any thought process that Aaron Rodgers might be losing it, or Aaron Rodgers might be expendable, or Aaron Rodgers needs to have some backup, or we need to have a plan B for Aaron Rodgers. Nothing over the past six seasons heading into the 2020 draft That would indicate that you needed to go out and make a move to draft Jordan Love out of Utah State, moving up to the 20s or the early 20s, low mid-20s to draft Jordan Love. When also there was scuttlebutt and there was speculation, there was thought about, you know what, Jordan Love could easily fall into the second round. So Green Bay could have easily drafted themselves a wide receiver, then moved up. And you, if you really wanted Jordan Love that badly, You could have first drafted the wide receiver to appease Brett Favre and then make the moves in the second round to get yourself in a better position to draft themselves Jordan Love. So you could have had your cake and eaten it too, along with some ice cream and some soda and some chocolate-covered cherries and some other things and some Tootsie Rolls. Doggone it. So I don't know. I don't know. 
I have no idea. The, the, the bottom line is that the decision, and if everything turns out to where Aaron Rodgers eventually gets traded, speculation only, but if Aaron Rodgers does get traded based on the decision that Bob Gutekiss made to draft Jordan Love, if it ends up that the Packers go ahead and trade Aaron Rodgers to the Denver Broncos, to the Las Vegas Raiders, to the San Francisco 49ers, to the Washington Aaron Rodgers skins, to any team that might want to go out there and get him. This would be the worst decision in NFL annals in the history of trades in the NFL or history of organizational decision-making. This would be the absolute worst since the Cleveland Browns owner, Art Modell, told running back Jim Brown, who was pretty good at that time, back in 1965, that if he didn't report to uh, training camp and get off of the uh, filming location of the Dirty Dozen, that he would be fine each day he wasn't there. When Art Modell came out and publicly said that, because Jim Brown was over, uh, I forgot, I don't know, Germany or somewhere in Europe, he was filming the Dirty Dozen, and training camp was about to start for the, the uh, Cleveland Browns, and Jim Brown was talking about, I want to play one more season to make it to 10 years, and then I'm good, and I'm cool, and I'm out. And the year before that, the season before that, the Browns not only made it to the championship game, but they won that championship game against the Baltimore Colts. Then the season after that, they made it to the uh, NFL championship game where they lost to the Green Bay Packers up at uh, Lambeau Field 23-12. to Jim Brown has just come off of winning the MVP of the season. And then he goes over to film the Dirty Dozen. And because of scheduling conflicts, there would be some time where Jim Brown would be missing some training camp. And then Art Modell comes out and publicly says that Jim Brown doesn't show up for training camp on time. He will be fine the next day. Art, read the room, man. You know who Jim Brown is? You know the strength of Jim Brown? I mean, our generation, my generation, I'm talking about Jim Brown back then, the most powerful man in the NFL, not just on the field, but also off. The strength and character of that man? You think that man was going to be bossed around like that and just acquiesce and say, okay, Mr. Modell, I'm running on back to you. No, man, hell no. So Jim Brown was like, really? He gave me that ultimatum? Okay, watch this. I retire. See ya. And that was the end of that. Now, luckily, the Browns had Leroy Kelly to uh, continue, but Leroy Kelly, Hall of Famer, great as he was, he wasn't Jim Brown. And as great as Cleveland was, never made it back to the... uh, Never made it back to a championship game. They made the conference championship game a couple of times where they lost to Baltimore in 68 and they lost to Minnesota in 69. But for the most part, um, we talk about the curse of the Bambino with the Boston Red Sox. Well, you could also say it's the curse of the Modell Jim Brown. Because, again, when was the last time Cleveland made it to the uh, Super Bowl or to a championship game? Oh, I forgot. Never since Jim Brown gave the uh, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm retired speech. When Modell came out there with that foolishness talking about if he doesn't show up at training camp, he's going to be fined each day he's not there. Jeez, oh, flip. So for Bob Gutekiss to bring it up down to the present, for Bob Gutekiss to A, draft Jordan Love, B, not tell Aaron Rodgers 
what you're going to be doing about that, which causes, which sparks, which causes the inferno for Aaron Rodgers to say, hey, you know what, I'm out of here, I don't want to come back. Whatever happens, man, whether he retires and gets married and then hangs out with his wife in Hollywood and does movie roles with her or TV spots with her, whether he wants to have his own podcast, whether he wants to be a game show host, whatever he wants to do, if he doesn't come back and play football for the Green Bay Packers anymore, or even worse, for the league and for the NFL and for my life and for your life and for sporting life and for everybody's life, if he decides to stay retired, period, that's not just a loss for the Green Bay Packers, that's a loss for you, that's a loss for me, that's a loss for Cleveland Browns fans, that's a loss for advertisers, that's a loss for everybody, because we're going to be, because we're going to be missing the genius and the brilliance of Aaron Rodgers when he still have more to give. How thankful were we that, that Michael Jordan decided to come back? How thankful were we when Sugar Ray Leonard decided to come back and perform his craft and perform his genius and do something that point zero 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 point one people can do on this planet that has ever done in this planet. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers retire. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers doing Jeopardy. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers sitting on the sideline. I want to see Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback for I don't care who it is. Anybody from the Jacksonville Jaguars all the way up to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and every other team in between. I want to see Aaron Rodgers play football because he's awesome, because he's brilliant, because he's fantastic doing it. And Bob Gutekist, get your fucking head out of your ass, you stupid son of a bitch, and realize what the hell you just did a couple of seasons ago. <sighs> mm, 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 mm. Man. So Art Modell... Brian, well, how many times have I mispronounced Brian Gutekiss, Bob Gutekiss, whatever the guy's name is? This guy was the decision maker. He was the one. Now, Mark Murphy, there are reports that Mark Murphy could have came up and said, hey, slow down, Chief. Maybe we need to speak about this or maybe we need to talk about this or at least maybe we can give uh, Aaron Rodgers a call. But Gutekiss was a guy who was new to the Packer organization, so maybe he wasn't fully informed about how things go when you're going to be making a decision like that, still unacceptable, unacceptable, inexcusable. So who knows, man? Who knows? We're still looking. We're still wondering. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> when, for, for those who want to sit there and talk about, when, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need to be told what the Packer organization is doing. He's just a player. He's just an employee. He's not the coach. He's not the GM. You know, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in mine, and everything will be hunky-dory. Well, speaking about just showing the certain type of respect that a starting quarterback, franchise quarterback, should receive from the organization, this is according to ESPN's Courtney uh, Cronin. The Minnesota Vikings reached out to Kurt Cousins to let them know that they, had, that they, might, that they might take Kellen Mond in the third round of this past draft. They, the Minnesota Vikings reached out to Kurt Cousins to give him the heads up that they might, though eventually they did, but they, they're thinking about drafting Kellen Mond. So the Minnesota Vikings are going to give that respect to Kurt Cousins, and the Green Bay Packers can't give the same amount of respect to Aaron frickin' Rodgers? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Goody Kiss is like, hey, man, we can't have the players run the asylum. You know, maybe it's a situation where, again, he stays in his lane and the throw passes and now put players around him that can uh, work for him. Or, you know, I'm not beholden to Aaron Rodgers. 
I'm beholden to the Green Bay Packers organization. And I can't throw all my chips into one basket for two years if it means that we're going to spend seven or eight years rebuilding. Can't do that. I have to be just as cognizant of what's going to be going down in 2024, 2025, 2030, 2032 in terms of setting our franchise up for success. And if I don't do that because all I'm trying to do is make sure that Aaron Rodgers is happy, well, that might be fine and dandy for 2021 and 2022. But guess what, A, that doesn't guarantee that I'll win a Super Bowl or get a championship. And B, when everything is all said and done and the smoke clears, what am my franchise going to be looking like? That's going to go on my resume. I mean, that goes down on my resume just in case I need to be getting another job if this Green Bay Packer thing doesn't work or I want to move on to bigger and better things. Hey, man, you want to look for an example? You want to look for an example of you don't appease your superstar for the sake of the long-term success of your franchise? Take a look at what the Cleveland Cavaliers did. Remember what LeBron James Remember that, how they tried to do everything to appease LeBron James and give him the stay and they mortgage their future to try to put the best team available for LeBron James to win a championship? What happened? He's in Los Angeles winning a championship and Cleveland is still recovering from the rubble of what's left of LeBron James no longer in Cleveland. New coach, new players, new everything. And they still stink out loud. And Colin Saxon still doesn't know when to pass or when to shoot. And him and Darius Garland still can't get it together and mesh in the backcourt. And Kevin Love is still acting petulant and and pouty and having his moments because he's now become super irrelevant. And Larry Nance Jr. is uh, doing nothing to, uh, to cause him to stand out because Cleveland is so irrelevant and worthless in terms of competing is concerned. So... Yeah, man, maybe Goody Kiss looks at that and is like, I'm not, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going uh, to be that guy. The Boston Celtics, how many years was the, tr- the trio of Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish? How about that? Everybody was like, man, you know, you need to start thinking about getting rid of one of these guys because they're getting old. And by the time that they... Uh, They retire, you're not going to have anything left to replace them. But our back was like, no, no, these are my guys and this, that, and the other. So, you know, how long did it take for the Boston Celtics finally to get relevant again? The gap between the end of the big three for Boston and then moving up to, shit, I don't know, are they, with the Brad Stevens era? It took that long? I'm sorry, no, no, Jesus. Yeah, Doc Rivers? I mean, it took that long between the hour back Big three, and then to uh, the Doc Rivers, Danny Ainge compiled big three for those guys to win championships. So, you know, it takes, you have to be careful. You have to be careful if you're if you're in that position. Because again, Gutekiss is like, you know, I, if I'm going to work in this profession for another 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, yeah, I mean, winning a championship is nice. That's nice to look at my resume, but if, it, if that's followed by, me putting together mediocre seasons after seasons after seasons, I'm not going to be in the best position to get a job. So I have to look after myself also when I'm thinking about drafting Jordan Love with a 24th pick. Because if everything turns out right and 
you know, Jordan Love is up there whooping ass and taking names and selling tickets and selling merchandise and the face of the league and face of the franchise and one of the elite franchise quarterbacks in the league during the 2025-26 season. Well, guess whose spotlight is going to be showing, going to be shining bright on me? Me. So get that, understand that. So where, where, where do we go from here, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace? What's going to be happening next with Brett Favre? and the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, is there anything possibly that they can do to get Aaron Rodgers to acquiesce and come on back? As I mentioned before, he's conflicted about what he wants to do. Could he fire the GM? Will that, will that uh, appease him enough, enough to do that? Because if you do that, maybe you have a better chance that there's animosity between Gutekiss and Aaron Rodgers, but the organization has never been swayed to do something like that. I mean, I'm sorry, how many times did Brett Favre threaten to retire, but yet still Ted Thompson and those guys still remained in place? So Green Bay doesn't seem like the type of organization that would cater to the threats of a star football player, even if it's someone of the stature of Aaron Rodgers. We're speaking about trades. What could the Packers get in the trade for Rodgers? Well, one high-ranking personnel executive with the NFC team said that the value would be two first-round picks and a second-rounder. And he estimated that Rodgers had about four years, four good years left in him. Two first-round picks and a second-round pick. Now, if you think about the other starting quarterbacks of importance that were traded recently, mainly Matthew Stafford and uh, Carson Wentz, what the what the uh, Rams had to give up for Matthew Stafford was Jared Goff, third round pick in 2021, a first round pick in 2022, a first round pick in 2023. And what Philadelphia got by training Carson Wentz to Indianapolis was a 2021 third round pick, a conditional 2022 second round pick that could eventually turn into a first rounder. So if that's the going market for those type of quarterbacks, then what would the value be for Aaron Rodgers. I'm thinking it's got to be higher than just two first-round picks in a second. And that's got to be, now, nah, we got to be thinking about, if I'm the Green Bay Packers, uh, you got to throw me at least three to four first-round picks and then a couple of more second-rounders. I don't need any other talent around me, but I do need those picks if we're going to be doing that. And I want them picks to be allocated between 2022 and 2024. So, you know, you want if you want to give me a, two first-round picks or you want to give me a first and a second in 2022 and then, you know... Uh, one each in 2023 and 2024, then fine, let's go ahead and do that. But uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm doing a little bit more than what uh, the Rams got had to give up to uh, get Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is not Aaron Rodgers. And if you take a look at some of the injuries that Matthew Stafford has gone through, the when you're speaking about you know going to the finish line of their careers, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford, they're not that far apart. So, you know, don't throw out age and all those other things. I mean, I'm talking about in terms of proficiency. I'm talking about in terms of down the road. Hey, man, you know, three or four years from now, just because Matthew Stafford might be a little bit younger than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to guess, is still going to be a better quarterback at that time than Matthew Stafford. And if you're going to be talking about, if you're going to talk about which quarterback is still going to be in the league between Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers, if I told you by the 2024 season that one of those players would no longer be playing football, I would go 
and put my money on Aaron Rodgers would be that guy still playing while Matthew Stafford would be the one that would be retiring. So, yes. So the Rams giving up Jared Goff, a third-round pick in 2021, the first-round pick in 2022, and a first-round pick in 2023. Um, if on the Green Bay Packers, that's a decent, somewhat halfway decent starting point. But we're going to have to go a little bit more with those first-round draft picks, those second-round draft picks, third-round draft picks, so on and so on, so forth, to get a guy who still has good amount of tread left on the tires and is coming off the season like he just did. So we don't know. We don't know. Would that be advantageous for Green Bay to do that if uh, they finally got to the point where, you know what, we, we definitely need to go ahead and do this. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What would happen if Rodgers decided to retire instead of playing for Green Bay? Hmm. So according to Jason uh, Fitzgerald of Over the Cap, Rodgers would have to forfeit $23 million from his original $57.5 million signing bonus. That's what he would have to give up. I don't think, I, I also think, uh, what does it say? Oh yeah, $50,000. He would also risk $50,000 a $50,000 fine for every day he held out a training camp. So on top of the $23 million that he would have to give back for a signing bonus, he would also be fined $50,000 for every day he held out a training camp. Wouldn't you just say then, I'm going to retire? So you wouldn't be fined because if you're retired, then you can't find somebody who's not in training camp. If that person is retired, I don't know. I have no idea. And let me tell you something, forfeiting $23 million and then, and then being fined $50,000 a day for holding out a training camp, I don't think the Rogers rate special that he's getting from Jake from State Farm would cushion the kind of financial blow that would be. Giving up $23 million, ouch. Man, that's just that's just not happening. So, you know, the, the bottom line in all of this for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers and where we're going and this story and everything is, the thing that I took away from it is, man, divorce is ugly. I'm not married. If anybody's out there who has been married and is going through a divorce, who have gotten a divorce, it's ugly, man. It's difficult and uh, it's complex, whether it be common, traditional marriage, marriage of business, very rarely do they end in a peaceful, amicable way. That's what I'm guessing. So um, either I'm going to get married, I'm going to find my soulmate, and I'm going to hang on for dear life, or I'm just going to be single, miserable, sad, and lonely for the rest of my life. At least being sad, miserable, and lonely won't put me through the bullshit that, uh, that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are going through. All right. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I think I talked about the Macho Man Randy Savage in the opening part of my uh, podcast. And I also talked about how much I missed my Georgetown Hoyas. So uh, that's about it. I don't need to go ahead and spend any time more on that. So I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to relax. I was out until like 3 a.m. And I'm going on about four hours, five hours of sleep. So I think I'm going to go take a nap. Enjoy my Saturday Get ready for the Canelo-Billy Joe Saunders fight later on in the day. Maybe after that, go for a nice little walk. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. But whatever I'm going to do, I'm just going to uh, thank the Lord that uh, I have the ability to do it. So there you go, man. So in conclusion, as I leave you with a special Mother's Day song, special dedication, 
happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful, fantastic, awesome mothers out there. We cannot thank you enough for what you do for us. So I'll always love my mama. She's my favorite girl. I'll always love my mama. She brought me in this world. Enough of my cackling and fucking up this song. The Intruders. Awesome group back in the day. I'll always love my mama. She's my favorite girl. I'll always love my mama. She brought me in this world. Hit it.